0: Bling-blong, everyone! Our new podcast miniseries, Talking Mission Hill, is now exclusively on Patreon.
1: Put on your spicy pants every Friday with a new podcast covering each episode of the cult series from Simpsons legends Bill Oakley and Josh Weinstein.
0: $5 subscribers at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons can hear every episode, plus all of our previous miniseries about Futurama, King of the Hill, and The Critic. So, don't be a Beardsley.
1: Sign up for Talking Mission Hill today. All
2: right. <laughs> I heartily endorse this event or
3: product.
0: Ahoy, uh, hoy everybody, and welcome to Talking Simpsons, the podcast you can take to the bank, the money bank. I'm your host, Cock 6 Cracker, Bob Mackey, and this is our chronological exploration of The Simpsons. Who is here with me today?
1: Hey, it's Henry Gilbert, and I brought my busy box. Now I'm
4: calling
0: daddy. <laughs> and who do we have on the line?
4: It's Luke Savage, and uh, now a word from your new god, me. Today's
0: episode <laughs> is Grift of the Magi.
5: Funzo! Funzo! Funzo!
0: Look, Smithers, Funzo is coming. Uh, today's episode aired on December nineteenth, nineteen ninety nine, and as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this mythical day in real world history. <gasps>
1: oh my God! Oh boy, Bobby, it's the end of nineteen ninety nine as Man on the Moon and a bunch of other movies are released in theaters. The hottest toy of this holiday season is basically anything related to Pokemon. Uh-huh. And this episode, almost to the day, I believe off by one day, marked the 10th anniversary of the airing of the Simpsons Christmas special in 1989. So
0: it's fitting that there is a kind of Christmas episode yeah, happening Yeah, it's like it's half like a Christmas like one, one. act is Christmas. That's all you get. <laughs>
1: so that Man on the Moon movie, I liked it at the time because I was told by many smart people how great it andy kaufman is and i do think he's he's like great but now i can't disconnect that movie from watching the jim carrey documentary about him being a dick you know it's a
0: it's a bad i I
4: haven't i haven't seen that documentary but i did see the trailer for it and there was a part that really made me laugh where jim carrey's being interviewed and he's just really earnestly saying like you know at a certain point i i just realized that i had this you know this i was special i had this talent and then it cuts to him just going like wow You know, just like making a ridiculous Jim Carrey noise.
1: Yeah, no, Bob has talked about, you have very good insights and how he feels like he's a first philosophy class student who's just like, whoa, I mean,
0: Yeah, I mean, Luke, have you seen his political cartoons online?
4: (laughs) Oh, yeah, well, I think there was a while, I think my co-host, Will Sloan, was an aficionado of those for a while. And, yeah, I I remember them being, uh, should we say, a little
1: reductive in their... uh, their Uh, but yeah the the man on the moon movie is like it's a good biopic like it's it's made to win an oscar and i think carrie was probably pissed he didn't win and it
0: won nothing
1: but yeah yeah but... well
4: i had a weird experience with that movie because um like i was i was a huge like my guys were like jim Carrey and, and adam sandler I, I i've still never seen punch, punch drunk love so this didn't happen to me for, with adam sandler but with jim Carrey, you know height of my jim Carrey phase you know I'm, i think i'm 10 and when that movie comes out. And this also happened with the Truman Show. Like I watch these movies expecting like Liar Liar or Ace Ventura. And instead it's like, oh man, this is like, this is like a serious movie. Like there's no, like this is for, this is for adults. I don't like this. And then, uh, and then, you know, at the end of that movie it's just like really sad. So uh, that was the first time I ever felt that uh Jim Carrey let me down, like by not, you know, talking out of his ass or whatever, like <laughs> I was used to him doing. He didn't appreciate the Tony Clifton character. Mm, yeah, I don't, re- I don't remember that one. It's been, it's been uh, 21 years since it's I've seen, <laughs> since I've seen it.
0: Basically, the uh, like the character that Andy Kaufman played,
1: mm, but pretended he wasn't, and sometimes Bob Zamuda played him. Like Paul Giamatti's really good in that movie. The uh, the other weird thing in that Man on the Moon movie, well, that it has to. It, it sometimes wants to play with the idea of what a biopic is but then th- the other times they're like no we need to have a scene where danny devito says <laughs> to him like you cra- you you just might be crazy but you also might be a genius <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, yeah i feel like it's not a, it's not a mu- uh, movie about a musician but i think walk hard really ruined every biopic it's just like well yeah it's just like wow this this very uh, insignificant thing is actually significant to your life and what i don't know about you yet
1: uh, but R.E.M. did a good new song for the movie, though. That was, yeah. I like that. But... but Yeah, one of their best. And, uh, yeah, the, the toy... I was hoping for a more interesting toy because this episode is about the toys of Christmas but yeah. it was just anything Pokemon like Pokemon ruled America in 1999
0: yeah I think so like 98 was the first Pokemon Christmas by 99 they had even more merch so 96 it was Tokomiyomo 98 was um, Furbies yeah. so this is all based on the previous Christmases uh, phenomenon probably written like exactly right after that <laughs> in the early months of uh, 99
1: yeah but into 99 like that was when the anime for Pokemon had started to get huge really big the toys were getting big the movie came out in theaters and on top of that like the game boy they were selling the pokemon yellow uh game as well like that was our big one while japan got uh gold and silver the actual sequel and so i was
4: i was all over pokemon it completely took over my life and actually i mean it might have been 1999 uh when like my pokemon obsession started maybe 1998 but some sometime uh after i'd gotten really into pokemon i was in uh the uk and i guess the pokemon contagion had yet to spread to the uk nobody knew what Pokemon was. Like, I remember going into toy stores and asking, like, I remember, like, these these confused, like, uh, clerks would be like, uh, okay, yes, we have a few pieces. And then you'd go over and it would be like, they wouldn't have anything. And they'd be like, uh, uh, cookie monster? And you'd be like, no, Pokemon. And they just have <laughs> no idea what they... They'd like, they'd hear like the Mon and panic and take you to Cookie Monster, but that was like the best you could, uh, <laughs> you could do. I mean, I for some reason, maybe I saw a post about Pokemon earlier today, but I was just thinking earlier today, like, God, I wish I could have all the money I spent on Pokemon back. <laughs> I would be such a rich man. All those like first edition, like packs that i got trying to get the holographic first edition charizard yeah, yeah i was thinking of that uh, like getting pokemon blue and then also buying pokemon red which was the exact same game <laughs> with like three different pokemon so that you could get like the electabuzz and the scyther along with whatever the pokemon blue exclusive oh, ones were you're speaking just my language just a trove of of, yeah, well, fuck the Simpsons. Let's just talk about Pokemon. <laughs> for now, Pokemon
1: now, I have now. a different podcast uh, for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, you know that disconnect for British people on Pokemon. I have felt that when I worked at a game website covering well lots of different games. When we come to Pokemon content, we were a you know transatlantic publishing place where we had the San Francisco branch and the Bath branch in 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 the <laughs> UK and the Bath guys. They had no clue. Like when we would pitch like our seventh Pokemon article, because they all did great. The the Brits were like, "What the? What are you talking <laughs> this about? This isn't about oh.
0: cricket." Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I remember going back to the UK the
4: following year, and um, uh, like my cousins who had not been into Pokemon the previous year. Like they had been into it, but it, it had like come and gone, but I was still really into it. So like a, a swarm of locusts Pokemon had like descended on the UK between my two visits and had already like gone on to somewhere else. Um, I don't know, maybe it was like, maybe it was bigger in North America. Like that I also sure. remember spending inordinate amounts of pocket money, like all the pocket money I had, like I would save up for weeks to get like one, vhs tape which might have like three episodes if you were lucky yeah and then i would just watch like the same three episodes just like a
1: hundred times
0: i think the year 2000 is when the queen knighted pikachu
1: (laughs) it's gonna be sir pikachu Uh, sir pikachu you got you got to be the cool canadian cousin who comes in and just like you guys haven't heard of it yet but pokemon it's gonna be big uh well this is a fun way to start an episode all about remembering toys uh but but yeah i guess let's officially welcome on luke luke savage welcome back hey guys thanks yes, for having
0: me of the great Michael and us podcast and I think our most recent interaction was on an episode of your podcast where we talked about the Simpsons movie
4: that's right uh, that was a lot of fun I would love to have you guys back I am also looking very uh, I'm looking forward very much to you know your inevitably like five hour long treatment of that movie <laughs> when whenever you get to it in the chronology so
1: it's a few years away I yeah think, we but... have to prepare ourselves
0: <laughs> but it will be uh, I don't know uh, we're be... gonna break some file limit sizes on patreon <laughs> with it, that one
1: it'll be worth at the wait we're gonna you know i think now we need to plan for five years in advance a five year long battle with patreon just to get them to allow you to upload a two gigabyte sound (laughs) file to to patreon (laughs) now there's 200 megabyte limit here and yeah luke we also uh yeah we just had on recently your co-host will sloan for for an episode too and uh we you know at the time of this recording i just listened to your uh, michael and us about the office which was was really great like it was oh it, thanks <laughs> that one was fun especially you know reflecting on what the office means as uh offices might go away forever it's uh is a really interesting uh point of view on it Oh, it was was a lot of fun
4: to revisit
1: that. And um,
4: yeah, comparing the U.S. office to the British office, which I guess is like a very obvious thing that people have done before, must have done, uh, it was nevertheless pretty fruitful. And um, yeah, thinking about like the, you know, the show presents offices as such a terrible place. But, uh, you know, as I recently learned doing some, uh, uh, some commentary and uh, kind of investigative reporting for Jacobin offices, as we know them might kind of go under and that, might not actually be. Uh, might not actually be such a good thing. Uh,
1: I guess we'll know soon enough. <laughs> And uh, well, also, this is a a pretty political episode, I think, or at the least about capitalism and also privatization of schools, this one.
0: It was around this time, a lot of animated shows and I have to assume live action shows were dealing with the corporatization of schools, like especially in terms of like, you know, uh, schools getting free soda machines as long as they sell the right kinds of soda, Channel One News being put into homerooms. And that was a uh, program in which the, the school would get TVs, of course, but then you would have to broadcast this program every day. For the kids to watch yeah, Full of ads With commercials yeah. That
1: was the important part On Channel One News That you'd get Which me and you Watched a lot of In our high school And middle school days Just like this is technically 2 minutes of news and then 5 minutes of M&M and Sprite commercials and oh, ads for
0: Mars attacks i remember that one oh, in my home room I, I
1: didn't see that one i remember
4: thinking the uh soda machines and the like snack machines in my high school were like really really cool and there was something about them that felt I don't know, almost kind of taboo because my elementary school, which was a rural one, you know, in the nineties uh, hadn't had not had anything like that. And anytime you had like, like we had like chip day and like, I don't know, I, I think a couple times a week you get chocolate milk and things like that. But that was like special and you had to like, you know, br- you had to like fill out a form and, and like put yeah. a, a, a loonie in an envelope or whatever to get that. <laughs> And it felt very like exotic, like this thing that is clearly not of the school, this bag of Lay's chips, and this like chocolate milk or whatever. But then I went to high school in like kind of a, I don't know, middle-sized town. And the high school actually had, you know, like the, you know, probably through some grotesque privatization scheme, like it had, you could get poutine for lunch in the cafeteria. You could get, uh, you get all the junk food you wanted. Um, I used to, uh, you know, I used to get like a bag of chips and a bag of Sour Patch Kids pretty much every day after school. I was waiting for the school bus to come pick me up. And I remember the cafeteria almost felt like this place apart from the rest of the school because of those machines. It was like, this is where I can exercise like personal autonomy as like, a <laughs> consumer of, of, of sugary snacks you know?
0: Yeah. When I was in high school, it was very much just like full of Coke machines and, uh, I should have been monitored. No one should have let this happen, but my meal for many a lunch was buying a can of Coke and eating a hostess fruit pie, uh, about 3000 <laughs> grams of sugar. Wow. And, uh, for, not-
4: me, for me, for me, it was the Joe Louie. That thing was deadly. Uh, Ooh, Joe Louie. What is hey, that? Yeah. We don't know this. Oh, do you guys not have that? Is that some exotic Canadian? I country? think so. When I talk to you guys in a year, the Joe Louis fad will have come, <laughs> come and gone uh, and I'll still be in the thick of it. Uh, um, it's like a it's like a little chocolate sort of patty with like a creamy filling. Oh, okay. I mean, de- delicious but delicious but deadly. After school snacks being another thing like Pokemon that like as an
1: adult I think you know what if I could have all that money back? <laughs> well, wow, okay, I had not heard of in my experience with in my experience with Canadian sweets like Coffee Crisp and uh, Smarties. I had not heard of uh, I had not heard of the Joe Louies. Uh, yeah, I think as I recall when I watched this when it was new. I remember liking it. I think I might have felt a little like teenage another Christmas episode kind of mm. feel, but I I think it's you know now I watch I think it's a it's a good episode for its time that is a nice encapsulation of the toy crazes of the late late nineties in particular.
0: And a lot of very very funny lines that I completely forgot about in oh, this yeah. episode too,
1: <laughs> or jokes I remembered independent of this episode as well. That was that was kind of what it was. Like like for me i i probably haven't
4: seen this one in uh, i mean conservatively 15 years but i remembered certain like disparate parts of it like ab- like abstract from the episode itself which i enjoyed watching but as like taken like holistically i found it kind of disjointed and i found the pacing also very strange which like maybe shouldn't be surprising for a season 11 episodes. it felt kind of uh, like more absurdist than an episode from season six or seven say.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. i was say
0: as, as a story, it does not hold together very well. And in fact, I think they gloss over that with the narration at the end. It's like, oh yeah, you forgot about the school needing money. Where here's where it came from. <laughs> well, uh, that
4: that you know that reminded me of was uh, was Family Guy, where Family Guy at a certain point, like initially Family Guy. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you guys know this, but you know for the for the listeners, um, you know Family Guy initially kind of had a a structure not um, like the episodes had structure. It was like a sitcom kind of you know type structure where there was like a beginning. And, end. and at a certain point that gave way and was just like, now we're doing like an ironic deconstruction of like this format where, you know, 10 minutes in the episode will just completely turn and by the end, you can't remember how it begun. But like Family Guy leans really heavily into the irony of that, like it's very self-aware. And this episode, at that scene at the end, I know it's jumping the the gun of it, but where they're just like uh, they're all just sitting around the the table, like having Christmas dinner. The the episode is almost like winking at you as it like (laughs) ties everything up in this little bow. Just in the last like fifteen or twenty seconds, they have before the credits roll.
1: Well, yeah, the so many times the show. I just gets to the end. They're like, "Oh, uh, we got to wrap this up." But this this one, though, uh at least they like tried to turn it into a cute ending. And yeah. in other ones, I mean, as the time goes on in the show, they kind of just like it, the shrugs get more it's, aggressive. It's
0: less spiteful than let's say Mo. Uh, but yes. although I do I do enjoy, and they are rescued by let's say Mo. I, I think it's a fun because who cares yeah, how they're cares? rescued, honestly. uh
1: But we'll also talking of the disjointedness. This episode begins with heat wave jokes, which is like your christmas episode <laughs> begins with a warning to stay indoors because it's hot
0: that's uh unseasonably warm uh, winter for the simpsons once yeah. again just like uh, in i love lisa
1: though in this time they explain it because it's uh, the ozone hole that was over brazil is now uh, wintering in springfield the sunbeam chasing after millhouse trying to kill him i was like well this is a wacky beginning to it's this very episode. anime <laughs>
0: I think so. We're recording this in June, and I have heard that uh, all of this inactivity uh, from humans is actually healing the ozone layer and mm. healing. Nature is healing, as the meme goes.
1: <laughs> yeah, though I've seen some folks bring up that like that that way of talking almost sounds like eco-fascist in a way. Uh, and just like, uh... hey, I'm not. I'm just
0: observing a fact. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Be <yeah.
1: laughs> <do> better, Bob. <laughs> no, no. I'm calling you a fascist now, Bob. I, no. Well, also, this joke here about Robin Williams, the hairiness of Robin Williams, that, I, this is my new thing of saying something is rugratsy, is saying something is criticky. Uh, but, but this joke feels very criticky to talk about how hairy the late Robin Williams was. Was
0: he like getting hairier over time? Because I think uh, it was with Goodwill Hunting we were first noticing, boy, he's a hairy guy.
4: <laughs> I mean, or was he- it? when did Jumanji come out? Because when he emerges from the game as like the adult who, you know, is like the character as an adult is played by Robin, what's the name? Of that character alan is played by yes. robin williams right he's been in the jungle and he's like he's gone
1: feral and he's like all hairy
0: i'm sure when i saw that i thought it was prosthetics like yeah. oh he's a gorilla man <laughs> some sort did. of fantastical creature
1: he can grow so much hair well yeah the the realization was like he's been bearded and stuff before but it's when you just look beneath his neckline or i mean also if you if you saw the you know the film fisher king like he does a full frontal nude scene in that and he's he is quite hairy in that as well so. I,
4: I have the most popular clip on
1: MrSkin.com
0: like <laughs> Robin Williams
1: full frontal nudity from the Fisher King uh, that's gotta be
0: on Mrs. Skin uh,
1: that's uh, you know that I really do love that movie that's a really good movie mm-hmm. it's uh, it's unsung I think I wish Terry Gilliam you know uh, was better <laughs> <laughs> wish, why must they all disappoint me by being older and saying things so after all these warnings and Milhouse coming into the house there's also a weird joke that feels like it's a lost joke about I feel like he should be saying something funnier when he's talking about like the sunspot in his vision like Mila should be saying something i than like ah, I think I'm okay that's
0: uh, that's a disturbing shot though <laughs> just like his, his charred corneas we're staring through
1: yeah then it comes to the kids being bored and it really hit me in this bit here of like Scully Years did a lot of board game jokes yeah in their time. I think it's this just was a- the
4: first time I laughed watching the episode was at the at the uh, where she takes a, a game of county seats and then the like the zoning dial is like broken or oh something. yeah
0: oh the zoning dial has been warped <laughs> yes yeah yeah, yeah yeah. just like all of the very, very boring board games you either got as gifts or you know your mom bought for you because they were on sale that are just like not no fun at all yeah like uh there's the scene with the with the egg magic kit in the super bowl episode it's like let's go to the closet and see what's in there for <laughs> yeah. fun and when i was watching this i was like i don't think it, i don't think kids can get bored anymore i think it seems impossible mm, now
1: right yeah well they also wouldn't have to turn to the closet full of physical games either but yeah i, I was remembering at least the two other times they did this joke set up in the Scully years in the fair a carnival episode yeah like we can play this hippo in the house and they're like oh we lost the hippo and then yeah and the super bowl one the egg magic and uh, but in this case county seat seems to be about gerrymandering stuff uh-huh. so you know i think it was the republican party that warped the zoning <laughs> oh disc, wow huh? yeah. can you
0: say that <laughs>
1: that's that's my pitch for a bill maher he needs to uh-huh. take that joke
0: <laughs> it's not racist enough for him
1: uh, you're right yeah the the mexicans and the no muslims <laughs> muslims That's a joke. yeah gotta, <laughs> i gotta mock muslims uh, that guy sucks uh, okay <laughs> but then then they get silly string out bart uses some silly string and somehow doesn't blind lisa by turning her into millhouse that's when she just leaves, and
0: and then Lisa's ca- uh, Lisa's classic catchphrase: "I'll be in my room." You're
1: right, yeah. <laughs> just the Lisa being the no fun character. That's that's a classic. That phrase. was her
0: uh, catchphrase in Barkett's Famous*, where everyone's doing their catchphrases all around the living room, and she says, "If anyone needs me, I'll be in my room." <laughs>
1: Uh, and so with them, uh, free of Lisa trying to do anything, it's time for the boys to have some, uh, non-gay fun. <laughs>
3: There's gotta be something fun in my parents' closet. Wanna dress up like ladies? Uh, wouldn't that make us kinda fruity? What's the matter? Scared you might like it? I'll show you who's scared. <laughs> oh, wow. This really hides my thighs. Oh, wow. <laughs> Sisters are doing it for themselves. Hey, where's this door locked? Oh no, it's Dad. Oh. <gasps> What's going
5: on? And I want a non-gay explanation. Uh, we're
3: drunk. Really drunk. <laughs> oh, thank God. Mmm.
0: So yeah, I guess in '99 you're supposed to la- laugh at Milhouse right? But now it's just like, well, yeah, good for Milhouse not you know living under the uh, the reign of gender norms. Yeah, he's progressive.
1: <laughs> Try on some wigs if you want, Millhouse. That's the though. Mill has a challenge of like scared you might like it, and then Bart's like, fine, I'll prove to you I'm not scared. I'll put <laughs> on a dress. Uh, this feels like more of a callback to early series Bart where they they would do jokes about Bart knowing how to walk in high heels and all these like they they got a lot more jokes out of effeminate things being done by Bart.
0: romancing now. the warden
1: oh yes yeah that too down i go mm. yeah the this bart here uh who's i'm also glad bart only says fruity that that's all he has to say The marge's green dress is not usually drawn to have like uh the the straps tr- chest area oh, yeah as yeah. well being visible like that it's more like just a tube dress that she wears
0: used to be a halloween costume <laughs>
4: The thing that the thing that was funniest about this part for me was uh, was that Homer is relieved when by their excuse that it's like oh don't worry we're just drinking. <laughs>
1: Which yeah. is like 100% there's like there's that's a type of dad that'd be like oh Thank God, I am totally fine with ten-year-olds drinking, but ten-year-olds putting on wigs and dresses. That no, Not no, cool. no. The, who owns all those wigs? Are those Marge's wigs? Yeah. Homer's wigs? That's the question. Like when? What the-
4: when has Marge ever worn a wig? She has. Yeah. Like she just has hair that's always exactly the same
1: they got to be Homer's wigs then, I guess. There's there's been
0: a lot of wig humor in The Simpsons, though. (laughs) That's true,
1: yeah. Actually, they all wear wigs after they go to the wig sphere.
0: (laughs) Maybe it was the uh, free wig with purchase of large wig. Oh, right. Homer had (laughs) those coupons. Homer's
1: been shopping around with those wig coupons for a while. I do think for a lot of uh, gay adults there, you do have these memories of as a kid— you did something that you thought didn't seem gay, and then you look at a picture of yourself like a parent did not know I was gay <laughs> when I did this thing. Like, I I think it's because he's artistic. To that here. <laughs> <Just> a, uh, <laughs> he's an artsy kid. Yeah, Homer, Homer is ready to beat them over looking gay in that way.
6: The Simpsons will be right back.
1: We hope this podcast is more funzo than Attila the fun for you. And a big thank you to our real great guest, Luke Savage, coming back our good buddy from the Michael and us podcast and writer for Jacobin website. Please check out all of his cool stuff. Me and Bob just did a really fun episode of Michael and us talking about video games. And you know, this podcast talking Simpsons, it's only possible. Thanks to the support of listeners like you at patreoncom slash talking Simpsons $5 a month. Folks keep me and Bob doing this full time and you get so much more than just our thanks for signing up at five bucks a month. You get to hear Every episode of Talking Simpsons a week ahead of time. And without ads like this one, and the same goes for our sister podcast. What a cartoon! you would get to hear next week's episode of that cartoon podcast right now. Plus, you'll get all of our exclusive mini-series. We just finished Talking Mission Hill, where we covered every episode of that classic cult series. And we talked to the creators of the show, Bill Oakley and Josh Weinstein, for over an hour about that series. Plus, you'll get to hear all the previous exclusive miniseries podcasts as well, where we cover every episode of The Critic, where we've covered multiple episodes of King of the Hill and Futurama, all at your fingertips if you sign up at five bucks a month at patreon.com slash talking simpsons. But if you want a galaxy of podcasts to listen to, you should sign up at the $10 level at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. You get all of that $5 stuff you just heard me talking about. Beyond that, you get our monthly What a Cartoon Movie podcast. Me and Bob talking about a different animated feature film in the Talking Simpsons style, often for over four hours. Films have included recent ones like Space Jam, The Black Cauldron, Toy Story 2 coming this month. We're doing Ghost in the Shell and the entire back catalog over 90 hours long. You can hear us talk about a goofy movie, Aladdin, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, Akira Kiki's Delivery Service, Cowboy Bebop the movie, Beavis and Butthead to America. There's too many to list, but you can hear all of them in each month's brand new one if you sign up at the $10 level at patreon.com. Slash Talking Simpsons today! It's also pretty painful how Bart falls on that bowling ball there and it breaks his back. Like It's a good, like, celery yeah, snap. Yeah, the sound really bugs me. Also, very season one, like, this is the season they remember Homer has a bowling ball, and he has that he likes to bowl. And uh, so after that, it cuts to the general hospital, and we see a shocking amount of bart's butt yeah just
0: uh dead on shot of it later when they open the trap door
1: right yeah it's you're not used to seeing his butt all this much like i I, well as we all know after uh the nipple incident with janet jackson fox says you can't draw any butts on their shows anymore
0: 16 years ago we Mm -hmm. we lost butts cartoon butts forever At least on broadcast TV.
1: How can that still be the rule? And then meanwhile, this scene is on just Disney Plus, you know, destroying children everywhere with all of all uh, Bart's butt. It
0: was the rule. Uh, but then like in the afternoon in syndication, you'd see like natural born kissers with Bart, uh, sorry, Marge and Homer naked constantly yes. and their butt cracks all over the screen.
1: And also a very crazy joke of electrocuting Bart's butt to recharge the defibrillators.
4: That's the kind of thing that like, I remember that joke, but I don't remember it having been part of this episode. Like I just remembered it in isolation. And it's weird because it doesn't, it's not a joke that's connected to anything in the episode. It just sort of happens. Same with like Bart having to wear the like butt prosthesis like does that get any more mileage for the rest of the episode i don't think so right
0: no after the scene with the wheelchair uh it's never seen again like bart's butt has very little to do with christmas in this episode
1: (laughs) he has a very resilient butt he heals very quickly yeah so i found out in real life if you break your coccyx you do not get a cast on it it's just you got to be careful sitting down for a while and hope it heals on its own. And you're just going to be in a lot of pain for a while.
0: So Mario is teaching us all the wrong lessons.
1: <laughs> well, he's just like Bart later. He has really toughened up his butt bone. <laughs> b- Mario has. And also, yeah, that fan. Uh, so they call it a fanny cast, which I wonder if they censored that for the British airing of it. I don't know. Mm. I should have looked that up. But uh, British viewers who saw this, like, did they change it to bum cast? What uh, Luke in Toronto? What is is Fanny the, uh, the American version or is it the British version? That would very much be the British version. I, I nobody says
4: Fanny in Canada. In fact, I'm not even convinced. Like, how many British people actually say that? Honestly. I
0: just want to know if they have to censor the theme to the nanny because she was out on her Fanny. That's mm. a very different picture. But then, how if do you are it UK. with
1: nanny, then or rather, actually,
4: Fanny refers to a different body part part in, yeah.
1: uh,
0: right.
4: in, in British vernacular
1: Though I also had to, well, yeah, I speaking of those same British people I worked with, we would have arguments about British versus American vernacular when we're like, well, 75% of our readers are from America. Hmm. So when you use the term pants to mean underwear, it confuses people. And then they'd be like, well, yeah, well, you guys don't know what a fanny pack is. Like, I got to edit that out. Or but, like
0: pants meaning like ridiculous, right? Yes. it. Yeah, oh, this is
1: pla- pants, like mate.
0: Not every review can start with core Blimey. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> got to draw the line here.
1: But also, I think that viewing window, I think you just need that to be able to poop, like, right? It's more of a pooping window, (laughs) you're right. right? Not to be too crass here. I also think all those doctors looking at Bart's butt, they need to be investigated. Those those people are a little suspect, like... (laughs) Give this kid some privacy. So yes, then they head over to the school and we find out that the school is incredibly unprepared for a boy in a wheelchair, which that feels like a good joke about the history of the series that like when they designed Springfield Elementary, they just designed what looked like a school to them. They didn't think about the... You know all of the disability laws that a school has to respect with all the uh, the ramps it must build
0: i was still in high school in this era and it made me think like oh yeah i've never seen a disabled student there are no ramps there's a second floor you can only get there with stairs i oh, mean yeah yeah i just it's just if you're disabled don't go here
4: <laughs> this this scene it was it, like there's a couple different interpretations of it because it was unclear to me if this Like in one reading of it, it's like it's sort of like a pro equity gag where it's like, you know, like, you know, public schools should be set up so they're accessible. On the other hand, like it almost also seems to be a commentary, or like it could be a commentary on like government overregulation or something like that. Because when uh, when they do make the school accessible, uh, Skinner says something to the effect of like we're like we're almost in accordance with you know the the Disability Act of 1975 or something. Then you see the school, and it's just like there's like ramps just like out every window, and just like ever it looks like a theme park.
1: It does seem like a joke about being too accommodating for yeah. a small percentage of people. Like, I mean, every now and then a libertarian streak comes out of The Simpsons. I know. also thought
0: uh, my perspective was that, like, uh, they they were forced to get ramps, but they have no money, so they have to rely on mafia labor. <laughs> <Yes. Yeah. laughs>
1: Yeah.
4: Well, that's the thing that made me laugh most in the scene was the idea that like, like when Fat Tony hears the word astronomical and comes comes out from behind a tree. I love the idea of like organized crime has got into like the equity business. Like that's their <laughs> new hustle. And uh, by
0: the way, yeah, Joe Montaigne, one of four guest stars in this uh, star-studded episode.
1: So many people. I completely I always forget Fat Tony is in this episode.
5: Bart, stop fooling around.
3: Principal Skinner, I thought public schools were required to have access ramps for the disabled.
5: Technically, yes, but the building costs would be
6: astronomical. Did I hear the word astronomical? If so, (laughs) my construction outfit, Valdazzo Brothers' olive oil, is poised to help.
5: No, 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 we're not building anything.
6: How can you say that when construction has already begun? Those trucks get here so fast. In order to avoid certain legal complications, the trucks are always rolling. <laughs> now for the groundbreaking ceremony.
5: Good Lord, do we really need all those ramps?
6: Who's to say does a peacock need all those feathers?
5: Look, you're getting a little philosophical
6: for me. I suppose so. They say it happens in the autumn years. <laughs> no, be that as it may. Get your hand off my car. <laughs>
1: That's a great, I love that exchange of just saying, like, well, that's you get a little philosophical for me, which is like that. That's what gangsters in movies do, of just say those things. But in this case, he reacts to it like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. It just happened. They say it happens when you get older. <laughs> uh, and Valdezzo Bre- Brothers Olive Oil is a great name. I like that.
0: It's better than the Legitimate Businessman Social Club, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> nice. Uh, I mean, Valdezzo, that's a great, just like fake Italian name, or it could be real Italian name, but a good, uh, unlikely Italian Italian name uh though you know watching this stuff about all the disability things it reminds me of a classic michael and us where you guys cover the pen and teller show bullshit and they have a whole episode about how they feel that there's too much overreach and too many rules against uh, dis for disabled people
4: yeah i those those all blend together i don't even remember that that specific one but uh yeah that definitely sounds like uh something they would uh something they would do right up right up there with their like walmart is actually a force for good episode
1: <laughs> uh i remember in that one yeah they they talked to a woman who like has a very disabled daughter and she's like yeah i need handicap parking and they're like well i guess we agree with her but doesn't it inconvenience most other people if we talked to this guy's like oh well, that's fair that's fair uh, but uh yeah so the construction begins the springfield elementary school is completely changed by having just ramps all over the place and then there's a time cut which is weird though because bart seemingly they said they should just have the previous scene start in uh the summer but Kent. Brockman says this ozone hole is wintering in Springfield now.
0: Oh, okay, and I think like to let you know it's a holiday episode. Uh, in establishing shots, they draw the trees without leaves on them. Oh, I that. The trees are that. bare. I think on the commentary, Matt Selman points that out.
1: Oh, okay, Just right, because right. it's such a cheat that they get to Christmas from here. <laughs> uh, but yes, the ramps are revealed, but it doesn't pay off.
5: To inaugurate our ramp system, here's the first of what I hope will be many disabled students. Bart Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> what the Bart, where's your wheelchair?
3: Don't need it anymore. Doctor says my butt bones stronger than ever. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Ta-da!
5: Well, at least we're prepared for the new millennium. My god, the whole thing's made of breadsticks!
6: And paint and shellac. It's all itemized in this build.
5: Are you mad? I don't get
6: mad. I get stabby. Mm.
5: (laughs) The good news is we need no longer fear vicious mob reprisals. But due to lack of funds, Springfield Elementary is closed forever. (laughs) Oh, you're cheering now, but someday you'll. I'm just gonna stop trying.
0: Between this and I think the rat milk and the, and the boking accidents, he's had a lot of run-ins with fat Tony. Was the rat milk a Springfield elementary thing or yeah, no? Okay. Yeah. They
1: were selling it in spring. Yeah. You know what? He has more interactions with fat Tony. I thought, and the, everybody thinks that they murdered him on Bart's order as well. Oh with yeah. Bart the murderer. So that's the first fat Tony episode is incredible. Is closely tied to principal Skinner. There's so many great lines in there. Him hoping that there's many more disabled students at the school. <laughs> uh the way the way Homer cheers on Bart with like pride boy. <laughs> and uh and also bart's pri- pride in his strong butt and the the awkward clapping of the other uh adults there like yay, I guess though when he says butt bone i wish it was a real twister mouth he doesn't do it
0: oh i noticed that too it's like if they had permission it would be a twister mouth right but uh yeah sorry
1: yeah instead his head just goes left right just like fast but it should it should be a twister they've been out they were
0: outlawed five years ago
1: (laughs) (laughs) wes archer was the last champion of the twister mouth and he's a, a king of the hill so bart can't do it but in spirit it is a twister mouth one because I mean, it's perfect. It's a perfect way Nancy Cartwright says it for a twister mouth, too, like butt bone. Like, it's just a fun word, butt bone. (laughs) And also, funny visual of Tony just driving off with a sack full of money. (laughs) His, uh, His classic sack full of money he loves to work with. Uh, and uh, yeah, also this aired two weeks before the new millennium began. So when Skinner says we're ready for the new millennium, it uh, <laughs> it's the well, probably the last time you can say that in the show. Also, if you want to see a weird looking Bart and the kids cheering, look at Bart. He has a Ooh. he looks pretty weird in that moment. will do. Uh, but uh, yes, they eventually get Skinner to give up on life, and then a very short act one. It's just over in under five minutes.
0: And you think it's going to be about Skinner? Oh, Skinner is ruined now that's (laughs) time for his story
1: he's uh he's pretty lost in all of this uh but skinner here the uh like the short act one i wonder if fox had just demanding it back then because like a few episodes ago we're like oh the commercial at five minutes in that's pretty soon if uh, if that was just how fox was deciding to program their commercials at the time i don't know and uh we come back from the commercial break the pta is meeting at skinner's house and you know i'm wondering if they're so heard up for money how do they afford those amazing refreshments <laughs> i think that's the joke <laughs> like uh they, they got know,
0: like professional like carvers there right they
1: have a like a, a just roasted fresh turkey and an omelet bar like it's the it, it's another of those moments it feels very hollywood to me too it just feels like a <laughs> a hollywood meeting they're having
4: a good oblique reading of that is that uh the tax rate
1: is simply too low and that's why the school can't uh
4: can't afford to pay for things
1: <laughs> yeah i mean they're spending a lot of money on wiggum and his uh dangerous uh, <laughs> police force so yeah <laughs> they're running they're, their budgets are running out all the parents get together and they decide to come up with an idea
5: as for the school, we are exploring various options to raise the $200,000 we need.
1: I've got a motorhome I never use. Maybe we should raffle
5: it off. Maybe you should shut up. Well, I... okay. <laughs> we can try selling liquor. Uh, I'm doing great. Please, sir, put some shoes on. What, you don't like my bags? Uh, <laughs> people, these are all good ideas. No, they're not. They're
3: terrible, <laughs> terrible
5: ideas. You're right. It's hopeless. No one has that kind of money.
2: What about Mr. Burns? Maybe he'll help us out.
5: Forget it. He releases the hounds and every charity that comes to his door. Feed the children, save the whales, even release the hounds. Uh, well, maybe we can pry open his wallet with a slick professional pitch. A school
1: play.
0: <laughs> uh, like, there's so many surprising things in this episode. Like, I forgot there's like a little Burns set piece in
1: right? here. <laughs> yeah. It takes a, a giant turn here uh, to having a like uh, this is one of these moments where it feels like oh an SNL sketch was written within this episode yeah
0: I think Scully is not as into the very Harvardy uh, Burns stuff, mm. uh, so we don't see Burns as often in his stuff in his seasons. Rather,
1: yeah, these are light Burns years that are usually more about him just being like super rich or out of touch, like not not referencing things from like 1908 that only only an Ivy League educated man would know of. It's too bad. That's my favorite Burns. Yeah, he's, he's more just a wacky old man in this uh, in this appearance, just
0: like uh, deranged and not in touch with reality. Mm-hmm.
1: uh well also this pta meeting like i i love Homer shutting down ned uh that ned just like is uh, okay. very realistically defeated <laughs> yeah and uh and he does have that rv he never uses anymore you know and he's he's trying to be nice and give away his rv uh but and then homer i mean i've also i've been homer at Video game events in uh, in my old days of like, eh, you know, I'm uh, you got a refreshment table. I'm gonna go straight straight there. When you're
0: not paid enough to feed yourself, uh, you have to subsist on those PR events. If they've
1: got a second set of sandwiches that nobody's gonna take home, I got I need dinner tonight. So <laughs> <laughs> may as well save a couple bucks. Also, I I had an extra question about Mo homer's uh, moe's wonder bread bag shoes are great anyway but he is not a parent or a teacher and should not be there that's a good question uh
0: he's just a fan of education sure i think
4: he's he, trying he's, to... he's there to support the kids he's a fan of education and just kids in, in general
0: i think he's got a grift going where he's like i'll help you i'll you could sell liquor through me oh, okay and i'll skim a little <laughs> off the top
1: i love skinner is about to say one of the type of lines he said a million times like those are all great ideas but we need to to do something else but he just gets interrupted by March just fully shutting him down just like no they're terrible ideas uh it's also it feels like the first time in a long time they do a reference to releasing the hounds too hmm in the uh, the trillion dollar bill one burns hits a button and tells homer like well, you should be being torn apart by dogs right now i don't know what to tell you <laughs> yeah. yet but that i think that was the last release the hound jokes but they haven't said the phrase release the hounds in a long time on the show he does get a
0: trap door again too
1: yeah this uh this is a very much an early show burns at least in his like antics maybe not in his use of old-timey phrasing and uh, also there's some real clearly adr and skinner's like slick professional pitch like the mouth movements are all off on it but uh, yeah so they we head to burns's home and we go to the stage where burns had the tryouts for his heirs it's it's the same
0: setup he's got this little auditorium i guess that's where uh, death of a salesman takes place
1: (laughs) yes you're right where they're they're all close this play (laughs) i told you to close it i say (laughs) Oh, so this
4: I this I really liked because uh I mean I feel like a, a, a somewhat common experience a lot of us have is remember that's kind of similar to this is like you know remembering uh our parents having to do really degrading like fundraising things, like either for for our school or like extracurricular things, uh mm-hmm. or like and sometimes you know us kids having to participate in them. Like I remember like I used to do uh Uh, Like at age like 10 or 11, I was actually a competitive gymnast insofar as you can Mm. be one at that age. And uh, like the gym had this thing where uh, my parents had to, I think it was monthly, go to these like – bingo nights and like help run the bingo nights and this was like a way to generate profit like for the for the gym mm. and i've heard a lot of american public schools have like similar things where like oh yeah uh, where like we're like they don't they're they're so underfunded that like they have to figure out how to like how can we monetize the kids or how can we monetize the parents like I, how yeah. can we raise extra funds anyway like any way we can
0: yeah exactly I mean I went to uh, private school for most of my schooling and even then we were doing fundraisers like you're charging my parents tuition <laughs> and I have to sell candy bars on top of that too and it's like you could win a bike if you sell a million and it was a real like the rich get richer lesson for me because it's like I could sell candy bars door-to-door but the people whose parents are small business tyrants can just force all of their employees to buy them and they would always win the most yeah, like that, that kids dad owns a dealership and he gets the N64 <laughs> uh, he
1: has all the N64s he needs exactly he's, he's gonna get a free car too i yeah i had to sell band candy in my uh public schooling it's and i think back to my parents like helping me well my mom helping me sell band candy to her co-workers at school and i just think to myself like why like I, if I was in the adults' position, I'd be like, "Why I pay freaking taxes? Like, why isn't that buying the band stuff?" For you also your school have to football? have a
0: small part-time job to help the school.
1: Yeah, as a candy salesman. Uh, again, it's. Uh, I mean, people are talking more and more about the. You're hearing it all the time, folks. <laughs> the the way, but yeah, like these schools in America so underfunded as like cops have every possible way to murder you at any turn. <laughs> uh, but uh, at least they have their tanks. But yeah, they, and so in, in, they also have to do fundraisers for for rich people. I think on the commentary, no, there's a later one where they talk about how like these kind of fundraiser things are how they feel as hollywood writers too because they go to things that they think are just like a school function for their kids school and they're like well since you're all a millionaire writers give us some money for the school and what <laughs> famous
0: friends do you know
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so uh, yes the well here why don't we hear the play which is a parody uh, well at least the title is a parody of the ice man cometh
5: and freeze now who in springfield will eat the poisoned broth oh it could be anyone even Mr. Burns. This
1: play really speaks to me.
6: Woo,
3: <laughs> woo, 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 I can't take Mr. Burns to the hospital because I'm too dumb to read a map. Oh, why did my school have to close? Mm. <laughs> Hello, I'm Dr. Stupid. I'm going to take out your liver bones. <clears throat> Oops, you're dead. I never
5: liked that Dr. Stupid. <laughs> Mr. Burns, I'll be honest. We had a hidden agenda tonight. No! The holiday season is approaching and these children need a school. Charity, eh? Yes, I'd be more than happy to... Oh, it's doing that thing again
0: i love the foley of them landing on top of each other it sounds like cold cuts
1: yeah yeah (laughs) it's like dropping
0: cold cuts from the sky a lot
1: of meat just on top of each other yeah the the that is a ridiculous joke that i love that it's that it's apparently just a malfunction like a tv going out of tune it's just like it's doing it again
4: (laughs) the thing that, that i laughed so hard at like mr burns when they're like we had an ulterior motive he's like no because i love the idea like they're in his house like why does he think they're coming to put on a play for him if not to like ask for money or like ask for something but he's He's
1: so surprised by this.
0: This is a senile Mr. Burns, not like evil Mr. Burns. He's yes. just confused. <laughs> yeah. But he at least knows how the trapdoor works.
1: Uh, yeah, the, his his gasp is so great. There's, there's like three other great jokes in this episode of the Simpsons loves a gag of a audience reacting to a canned line in the best way possible of saying like, Well, I had an ulterior motive. (gasps) Like, actually, you're right, kids. What? Yeah. Everybody has such big reactions to these things. I also, my favorite line in there is burns just saying out loud like this play really speaks to me <laughs> I'm directly speaking to him because he's in the play <laughs> uh bart is having a really good time playing that ambulance driver oh, yeah
0: yeah. i love the piano accompaniment too it's, oh, very, yeah. it's very classy
1: uh, it's uh these kids are doing better productions and a lot of crusty sketches they do on the show i also the liver bones line is stuck with me for a long time all right and and the mop head design of the burns dummy is really great too That's uh the whole sequence is great and it's also so at it's at minute eight when Skinner says with the holiday season coming up it's like oh it's a Christmas episode it's December now.
0: 19th everybody <laughs>
1: swear when I watched this the first time as a teen I was like oh this is a Christmas episode okay it uh, it confused me at the time
0: and this uh this people's court thing I think is like one of the big clunkers of this episode it doesn't mm. stick around for very long but just like this had to be in some writer's head for like 15 years he's like <laughs> now is the perfect time for my people's court parody <laughs> in 1999 when uh-huh. the judge shows at the time were like Judge Judy who yeah. would be like a character in two years
1: <laughs> the Michael and us favorite Judge Judy <laughs> i
4: love i love the idea that like like they're complaining about daytime tv except that it's clearly teaching bart like conversational spanish at the same time <laughs> so maybe it's not all bad
1: you know maybe bob they were sitting on uh this bumblebee man sketch in general feels like a real throwback on simpsons yeah like, now that bumblebee man isn't around in the background like for instance at the end of season 10 he's there when Senor ding dong shows up and he exclaims like oh Senor ding dong but he does not have like you don't watch many Bumblebee Man sketches in these days on the show so bringing it back for a people's court parody that feels like it could have been a joke thrown away in season four that they bring back now and they
0: needed to kill 30 seconds or something
1: (laughs) they gotta watch something on daytime TV and though also you know that defendant is Bumblebee Man's wife as we saw from 22 short films
0: I guess they only had one uh, Mexican lady in their packets
1: uh, but uh, hardly a fair trial at this <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's some
0: clear bias at hand <laughs> uh,
1: though he's still stuck between it being a limon or uh, caro fuerte fuerte Fu- fuerte now, this daytime tv joke too it feels like lost of time to me because like in in the 2000s even as a loser with uh, d- my days free i'd watch some daytime tv and you're like oh yeah it's all judge shows unless i go to cable but now i don't know do people even watch those judge shows i would think judge shows are still all over US K. uh daytime television on network but you just stream a thing wouldn't you or maybe i'm maybe i'm being elitist here thinking everybody goes to youtube just to watch a long video of some kind well it's like who even watches tv
4: like it must be like older people because everyone else just watches stuff like on demand like when i was when i was a kid and this is partly like again like i grew up rural you know uh i mean i only got like three or four channels Uh, a complaint I've maybe made on your show before. I don't know. But like, I only got a few channels and all the TV, like, I mean, you, you, you know, you'd get something that was like either cop themed or judge themed. Uh, So it was like, you had judge Judy, people's court, judge Joe Brown. And then the other kind of show was like, whatever you call, like whatever the fuck Jerry Springer and Mari are like, these kind of like weird, like moralistic uh, shows that are sort of supposed to be like, they posit themselves as sort of being like therapeutic in some way but they're but they're just like freak shows.
1: You know. Yeah, yeah. Freak shows that are trying to act like they're doing the public good when they're just like, look at these freaks. I
0: think the people like 25 years ago whose VCRs were flashing 12 o'clock, they are the people now who are too old to figure out streaming.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I learned about those people a lot a decade ago when I worked at a video store that rented pornography and I'm just like, who are you people? Like, get it. Why are you paying money to rent pornography for me? It's, it's all there, but... <laughs> But a lot of them were guys over 50 who didn't know about how to or the whole Internet just scared them away. You know, they,
4: they you know, they they want to they like the story of like, you know, Juicy Jugs 9 or whatever. <laughs> like they've seen one one through eight and they want to continue it and they can't do that online. So that's, they got the VHS. True.
1: You know, maybe it's it is about the attention span thing that like online porn just goes too fast, doesn't tell you a story. And
0: part of the porn experience is the conversation you have at checkout, right?
1: (laughs) Talking to uh, (laughs) a weirded out cashier who's half your age. (laughs) Was that one of those stores where like
4: there was like a curtain like you never see this anymore. I mean, who even goes to video stores anymore? But like, like I remember that from video stores when I was a kid. Was like, uh, was like there was always like a, a curtain, and I, you know, I never once went behind one of those curtains into the like taboo space. There was beyond. also
0: at my local store that was not a major chain. There was also like uh, saloon doors. Uh, like, yeah. oh, it's cowboy town in there. What's happening in there? Some sort bi- <laughs> of sarsaparilla.
1: <laughs> you hear a big old <laughs> clack, so you know if people went in there. Yeah, no, uh, mine though was a very cheap store though i think that's how the guy even kept it open until like 2012 when video stores were dying uh he was a cheap guy but he or frugal let's say and one of his frugalities was he didn't have just porn sitting around because children would go to the store and you can't just have it there but he just basically put two walls up within the store of like or when i say walls i mean the shelving that we had uh, uh for the dvds he just put two walls of it to block it off and so there was a little entryway and then we put like one of those you know curved mirrors they let you see inside so you were told like constantly look in that mirror and make sure no child walked into that area and uh we were pretty good with that but that's also why we would give the excuse of like well you can't go to the bathroom because to go to the bathroom I have to walk your kid by our pornography so
0: even just being aware of pornography would shatter them
1: <laughs> well these are berkeley kids you hope they are at least a little less uh <laughs> a little less sheltered than the suburban kids um, but yes, the, that whole sequence ends, and we the kids get news from the TV, as they often do, about how their school is reopening, this time thanks to the magic of privatization.
5: I'm with Jim Hope of Kid First Industries, which has generously stepped in to educate our children.
1: That's right, Kent. You know, when public schools drop
6: the ball, it's up to the private sector to fall on that fumble and run for the end zone.
5: Will you be replacing the current teachers and administrators?
6: Very much so, Kent. But they've already received an extremely generous severance package. Valencia? These are juice oranges. (laughs) Howdy, children. I'd like to welcome you back to school. You know what? I agree. What? Your old school was boring. That's why it failed, right? Well, we're not going to make you memorize facts and dates. No, no, no. I'm going to find out what you really love in life and teach to that. What are you passionate about, partner? Boogers. <laughs> 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 Boogers. <laughs> that was great. You know, humor is a sign of intelligence. You're not mad? Hey, I'm here to make sure that you get a kick out of education.
3: Hi-ya! Yeah! <laughs> he's rekindled my love affair with books
0: <laughs> the specificity of the valencia uh, juice oranges jokes has stuck with me mm. and whenever i buy oranges which is rare i'm like no those are juice oranges i'm not going to eat one of those
1: <laughs> i i did not know that term until uh, this taught me it so I, lo- I was learning as we i was also learning about privatized school <laughs>
0: now i want a blood orange because they just sound cool
1: I'm more of a I I just like a little Clementine or Halo the tiny oranges I ah oh man I forgot a cutie get, a cutie yes. <laughs> I hate yeah. those uh, I I forgot to pick those up at the grocery store yeah, So I'm all out of cuties this whole weekend <laughs> and uh, but yes Jim Hope there a great name for the evil dude who buys the school to turn it into a factory and
0: named after a friend of the writer Tom Martin who like oh, in the right. next year would just become a TV writer it was like yeah. I guess a friend of his
1: yeah you know uh, Tom Martin we did talk about him because he was one of the 14
0: writers of uh, sunday cruddy sunday (laughs) right
1: yeah but this is for solo episode yeah who he just had a bunch of live action background i think kind of went between cartoon and live action after this and uh I don't know. Is he old enough to play the anti-death jingle, or can we just be safe with... Oh, Tim uh, Robbins? Yeah. yeah. he's
0: only like in his 60s.
1: Mm, you know what? You never can tell these days. Let's be careful. Okay. Uh, especially because we're going to have to play double death jingles in this uh, episode. So let's play the anti-death one to be safe with uh, Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins. <laughs> damn
5: buzzards. i ain't dead yet
0: I, I i don't know he's 61 i think this is an improper use of the uh near death jingle have yeah,
1: people surprise you these days it's you know. true i mean uh, i guess
0: we're recording this one like six weeks in advance so yeah, who knows we
1: we really walked the line with ed asner who hopefully was still around even when you're listening to this one uh, but four weeks ago we had him on. Uh, we talked about ed asner it was more needed then, true but i always forget with tim robbins I forget that he had broken up with uh, Susan Sarandon like 11 years ago. Yeah, it's it's been a
0: very long time.
1: I imagine them always as together. They're the Hollywood power couple to me.
0: (laughs) I just remember a mean-spirited joke from Family Guy where it's like, uh, Hi, I'm Susan Sarandon. You might know me as Tim Robbins' mother, but I'm actually his girlfriend.
1: Oh, God, man. That was a mean joke. (laughs) She's still smoking hot. Tim Robbins, you know, he's just as lefty as Susan Sarandon, and he doesn't get, nobody blames the election of Trump on Tim Robbins, you know.
5: <laughs>
0: yes, it was Susan Sarandon's uh, protest vote that single-handedly lost the election. Yeah.
1: How dare she How dare she tell 30,000 people to vote for Jill Stein? Uh- <laughs> <laughs> that is one of my favorite like of all the unhinged like post-2016
4: things, the obsessive focus from like donut Twitter on Susan Sarandon is one of the most incredible, uh, like, like, I don't know, micro pathologies that developed for liberals after the trauma of twenty sixteen. I, I especially like like cause it's kind of the it's kind of the like Nader phenomenon where it's like mm-hmm. shaming, you know, shaming Nader voters or whatever. But then I think there's something else at work there, which is that like the entire Hillary Clinton campaign was just about like celebrity, like from Hillary's celebrity down to like almost the 100% of Hollywood that supported her. And so I feel like in the Susan Sarandon uh, antipathy part of what's at work is like, we had all the celebrities and like celebrities are the most important people in America and you were the sole holdout. uh, And and therefore like you ruined things for us like we needed 100% celebrity solidarity to win and you deprived of, you know, deprived us of that like shame on you. I think I think that's kind of what
0: they're thinking theory is that Susan Sarandon was a holdout in the uh, Hillary fight song celebrity version (laughs) and because of that they want to destroy her she would not participate
1: well so she was like the most famous uh, no there were other famous people but she was probably the most famous person in 2016 getting behind bernie who also didn't fall in line like mark ruffalo was way behind bernie too in 2016 but once uh, june rolled around he was like yeah look let's all get behind hillary like he he dutifully got in line but sarandon was just like no i don't want to i'm not doing a lot of, a lot of
4: not to carry this on, it's nothing to do with the simpsons but like uh this is like very much this is like fodder for my podcast at this point but like one of the things that was really uh common to a lot of the celebrities who supported bernie last time was that they didn't just sort of grudgingly go over to hillary they became like hillary enthusiasts overnight which kind of made you wonder like like did you did you, did you get what supporting bernie was in the first place did you get what it was about like seth MacFarlane was like that he became mm. like a just like it was you know it w- like it wasn't just enough for these people to be like all right you gotta vote for the democrat i guess <laughs> it was like uh you know they became like full-blown kind of uh you know full-blown kind of zealots and uh i don't know i think susan sarandon to go back to her like the thing that annoyed liberals so much is that she like failed to show the same deference which like was the was the whole uh was the whole point anyway
1: yeah i think you know if i'm being nice to celebs like ruffalo or sarah silverman who really you know in 2016 jumped off the bernie train and strongly endorsed her i think they probably would have said like they were just so concerned about a trump presidency that they're like they wanted to go just be so strongly behind the nominee so I, I can get it but I would I would at the very least like that's that's an honorable intention but leave Susan Sarandon alone like yeah. let her have her own beliefs
4: and how well did it work you know all those celebrities that were like wow well, we have to stop Trump it's like if anything all the celebrity support Hillary had was like a colossal liability because it just underscored like what a what a like elitist sort of New York Hollywood like you know brahmin campaign she was running
0: as for her ex though i i think i just assumed he was more famous than he actually is because mm. he, he doesn't seem to be that famous i think i mean he his career really peaked in the mid-90s because uh, uh was dead man walking
1: his big uh like the shawshank shawshank redemption oh, yeah, shawshank. Yeah.
0: I, I was talking about like as a as a director oh though. director yeah. of dead man
1: walking yeah that was a big one yeah and
0: yeah. sarandon's in that but yeah uh things like a uh, Hudsucker proxy and um Shawshank Redemption things like that but and of course um, Howard
1: the Duck Howard too. the Duck he's in that he, he's the yeah he's in Howard the Duck <laughs> he, he's the duck no he's the nerdy scientist who's okay. friends with Howard or it uh, oh, oh. helps him they fly a uh, hang glider together but I, I like when this
0: was happening he was on the brink of things like Mystic River and High Fidelity and things yeah. like yeah so. oh
1: man as as Neil in High Fidelity so great is this patchouli oil parody of a human and then yeah I mean. I mean, Mystic River, I know everybody loves like, you know, Sean Penn's intense acting in that, but I think Tim Robbins is better in it or the, like it, he's the quieter choice of this just poor, poor man scarred by abuse in his childhood and it, it coming to the fore in his adulthood. Uh, the character
4: and High Fidelity, like I love uh, when John Cusack describes him as like his musical taste as being latin bulgarian whatever world music was trendy that week <laughs> he's so good at playing like a particular type of like of like i don't know like faux sophisticated urban douchiness that you encounter <laughs> He's got a real sure. M-
0: NPR flavor in that uh, in that movie.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you see, you don't see Tim Robbins in much stuff these days. I don't know. I think he's still. I did see a little hate for Tim Robbins in 2016, though, when he he was one of the people who was talking about like, boy, those were some irregularities in the primaries in 2016, right? And then people were uh, calling him a useful idiot and, of course, uh, a Putin lackey as well. So he's a, I think he's a bot. <laughs> he did. Uh, <laughs> t- Robbins got a little of it. Uh, But yeah, I wonder if his uh, politics uh, came into any of this of him playing this, you know, Evil, nice executive who buys a school to use it as a uh, a focus group, and especially I love how easily he goes, just like, oh, very much so, Kent. They're all th- we laid off every single teacher and <laughs> faculty here.
4: Well, th- this I this part of the plot I really like because I mean I, I think the episode is too just disjointed to work as kind of like direct satire because it just keeps moving from one thing to another. But if if we were to take any of it as satire, like I think the fact that you know Kids First Education conglomerate it. they're not just like a sort of you know charter school company or something like they've taken their greed like it has another layer beyond it which is like it's not enough for them to just buy the school they then have to like monetize like like the school like the school is a commodity but then there's also the commodity within a commodity which is like their ability to do market research which yeah. is like very funny and also an accurate depiction of how these things work.
1: Has an actual American city sold their school directly to a company yet? Mm. I mean, this uh, they're now it's not fashionable for Democrats to be into it anymore. But in the school voucher waiting for Superman era, like
0: yeah, I
1: think we got uh, definitely Bill Gates. They mock Microsoft later in this. Bill Gates wanted to own every school and turn them into a factory like this.
4: Well, actually, and that's that's something that like I mean, this isn't a real criticism of the episode, but that's something that like the satire here insofar as uh you know it it exists or has any coherence like kind of misses which is that like privatization stuff like a lot of it what it's really about like what what the gates foundation and stuff wants to do is like, it's really just about making public schools into something that's going to train future Microsoft workers and stuff like that. Like, of course, all the language is like, we're here to make learning fun and awesome and rad and mm-hmm. like high tech and modern. But then, you know, it's really just like, the, the the goal is to get the state to subsidize like the training of like, you know, the next generation of like Silicon Valley drones or, or whatever. And I guess that's not like fully clear in this episode.
1: Well, and it's also to break up unions too, to break up the teachers union
0: oh yeah 100 percent. i think yeah a lot of it's driven by like stem focused lunatics who's like nothing else matters stem stem mm-hmm. stem
1: uh and yeah so the the kicking of books thing it then cuts to bart kicking books which i love that the family is all just sitting around watching bart kick books
0: after presumably having kicked all of lisa's books
1: <laughs> i um, one of my favorite lines marge i think the only line Marge has in this where she's like why don't you kick some books lisa <laughs> it's, she's just happy uh... to see
0: bart engage with his schoolwork i guess <laughs>
1: and i also like that they with the way bart describes the homework and he's like yeah but i'm still not gonna do it <laughs> though then in the next scene bart does have a toy with him at school so he did do the homework he brought he brought his crusty doll there's not a joke with it but if you look at it in the wide shot you can see of all the kids that brought their toys Bart also has his crusty doll with him uh but yes the uh it's time for a uh, focus group version of show and tell <laughs>
6: millhouse what have you got there My
3: busy box. It's got everything. I'm calling Daddy.
6: Good for you. Not being bound by the recommended age.
3: What are you talking about? Oh, (laughs) jeez.
6: How about the rest of you? What do you like about those toys of yours?
3: They're special. They're challenging.
6: (laughs) Very good. Now I want you all to imagine the perfect toy. What would it be like?
3: It should be soft and cuddly. Yeah, with lots of firepower. It's eyes should be telescopes. No, periscopes. No, microscopes. Can you come back to me?
0: One thing I never noticed until now about the Nelson thing—I mean, he's doing the jack in the box backwards, but his thumb is also on it. Oh, I just I didn't never notice, noticed that before. I didn't catch so it. it's wrong in two ways. It's—it's <laughs> it's, it's very hard to—it's very easy to miss his his tiny yellow thumb over the boxes. It's the hand on the other side well, of the, the screen. The box is
1: yellow too. Yeah. So yeah, that joke is meant to just drive you insane because you're just like, when's it gonna pop out? But it's also you know he's going backwards. It
0: holds on it for the perfect amount of time.
1: And uh, I also yeah, Millhouse playing getting joy out of a toy that's too young for him i that's an embarrassing thing as a kid when you're still playing you're you're not playing the right with the right product speaking of
0: pokemon we were playing it uh when it was new we were like 16 yes yeah out (laughs) of our age range
1: (laughs) i was the oldest kid at the one pokemon video game tournament i went to as a a, like we drove home after that and we're like we should probably not be in this we we got a couple nasty looks from parents who were just like you shouldn't be in this (laughs) I I was in uh, I was in the
4: Pokemon League at my local hobby store, which was called the Elder Dragon in Ah. Woodstock, Ontario. The Pokemon Pokemon was like sufficiently like it had kind of moved on. By this point but like some of us were still playing it but as i discovered when i went to to you know compete in the pokemon league which was like the, the car it was for the cards like the pokemon card game which like very few people actually played because the point was not to play the game it was to own the cards mm-hmm. um uh you know, you'd buy the packs and they were like 30 or 40 percent like those energy cards and then you just end up with like <laughs> insane numbers of duplicates but as i discovered the uh pokemon league was really it was like a ploy so that like the older brothers who played magic the gathering could uh could play in the corner while their younger brothers hang out and, uh, and, and felt excluded <laughs> that's
1: a you good know. cover
0: if people pokemon shame you henry just point to the corner of the box it says e for everyone <laughs> everyone yeah, everyone <laughs> i'm part of that uh
1: i i also like the gag of millhouse's pitching that feels there's jokes in here that feel like the producers mocking how one writer pitches jokes in a room he's just like can you come back to me like that (laughs) that's so good yes they start asking all the other things kids want in the perfect toy my favorite is like martin's demanding that there are accessories which are the thing no kid wants with a toy (laughs) like all you do is lose accessories i can't tell you how many like ninja turtle uh swords and sides that uh, were probably sucked up by a vacuum. Your mom was cleaner. picking up
0: uh, Ninja Stars all day at your house. <laughs>
1: in her feet. She had to walk. <laughs> I feel bad for her. Uh, and uh, yeah, then it cuts to them being watched and, you know, we've had some doppelgangers of her, but now back in in her official form again, it's Lindsay Nagel as we know her.
0: Yeah. And Gary Coleman even calls her Miss Nagel. Yeah. At the end. They,
1: just so it's very clear that this is Nagel. The Lindsay Nagel prime, as I like to call her, they They were so into doing executive jokes at this time. I I was just going to say
0: that like Scully, uh, maybe he was just, uh, he's being a showrunner and dealing with executives more. Mm. But it feels like so many of his targets in these uh, seasons are executives.
1: (laughs) Who tell them bad things to do and you just have to be angry at their terribleness. I, you know, maybe it was too that Matt Groening had left the show regularly at this time and perhaps there was fewer cushions in between the executive oh, yeah. level and the showrunner level.
0: And James L. Brooks is off making As Good As It Gets and things like that. Like yeah. he's, his movie career is rejuvenated after that.
1: <laughs> That's right. He's, he's uh, probably workshopping the script for Spanglish, right? Mm. As they do. Yeah. So meanwhile, he can't. Uh, maybe Scully's having to see the exact level a lot more. Yeah. So as the uh, the focus group continues, uh, we get some very unhelpful stuff from Ralph.
3: It'd be full of surprises. It should never stop dancing. It should need accessories. Now that's market research you can take to the bank, the money bank.
5: I just wish those second graders would stop jerking us around.
3: <laughs> fun toys are fun. Well said, Ralph. But we're trying to come up with a name for a toy. Mrs. Fun. Not bad. Fun. Ralph, there are no right or wrong answers. But if you don't pipe down, I'm giving you an F. The before teacher yelled at me too! No one's yelling. We're just brainstorming names. Uh, Lisa, any ideas? Oh, a uh, name with fun? Um, Fungus? Funzo? Attila the Fun? Lisa, are you doing math? Uh, just a few Venn diagrams. There's more under her chair!
1: <laughs> <laughs> Ralph is a snitch! Boo! Yeah.
0: It does feel like uh, we've been talking about this consistently throughout uh, season 11, like just as you think there's going to be like a Lisa story, it's like swatted down. It's like, no, actually it's a story about an evil robot or whatever.
1: I guess technically Lisa's the lead for the second half of this, but Bart's winner basically every place. Yeah, well also you think that the episode is, from this point on, you think it's going to be about how Bart's doing good at school and she isn't, but that's dropped like in 20 seconds as well.
0: There are so many ideas, uh, and I credit them for all of them, but none of them really get developed enough, which is fine because it's very funny, but I feel like you're wasting all these ideas that could be episodes or at <laughs> least like their own plot somewhere else.
4: Yeah, I feel like if this had been an earlier from an earlier season, there like it would have just you could take any part of it and of this episode and then just imagine like uh, an earlier season would just commit to it and then that would be the episode. So like I remember this as as an like insofar as I did remember as an episode about uh like the 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 toys like mm. the specifically the toys, but they're only like they're kind of like what introduced some way through Act Two and then sort of like. I don't know, like act three, if, if there even really is an act three, like they kind of briefly appear like any part of this episode could digress and become, become something else because it's so, uh, so disparate.
1: And, uh, Bart saying that the ironing is delicious is pretty fun, especially his great reaction. When Lisa corrects him, he's like, and there's no Mo saying wah but uh, there's a lot of that in general in this (laughs) yeah so at first it seems like it's about Lisa now being in trouble while Bart is the celebrated kid but then instead a conspiracy is revealed
0: (laughs) now I conflated this with a later episode that would happen in the next year that's not a Christmas episode but in the episode where Homer becomes uh, Mr. X sort of like the drudge report guy he unveils conspiracy and that the flu shot is just a uh, a conspiracy to give you credit. Christmas shopping fever
1: right so I I, I misremembered right. that as being
0: part of this plot as well
1: I forgot that was the drudge report twist in that one yeah and having the... flu vaccine controversy is not very good now
0: Ooh, you're right <laughs> I'm glad that yeah. episode aired 20 years ago but uh, <laughs> for some reason I was thinking that was part of this
4: Boy, it's Bob. okay by the, by the time this episode of talking simpsons airs i'm sure that uh, there'll be a
1: vaccine <laughs> mm, we get we get hope delivered right to your door <laughs> uh, yeah the, uh and it's an extremely poor one-way mirror that reveals the secret room that lisa goes into uh and i like when she picks up the noted suggestions i thought there'd be more jokes in it but really the only one is like ha ha is written down which is pretty good but uh then the end of the act comes as a scary skeleton robot uh uh, tells lisa i see you
0: it's good it's a good mislead to think you make you think like oh the robots are evil now and they're going (laughs) to kill kids or something like that
1: there's an invasion of killer robots you that you don't make a toy connection here i think too, the simpsons you know probably there was other people talking about it but it became like an internet thing later about how horrifying a Furby without fur is. Oh, yeah, yeah. But that's what that joke is. Yeah. You
0: know? I did want to ask uh, Luke about, because he's a bit younger than us, were you a recipient of a Furby? Because, I mean, Funzo, who we're going to meet very soon, is the Furby parody.
4: They were around. Like, I would have, I when when I first saw this episode, I would have recognized this as like, oh, yeah, that's a Furby. But I don't remember them being, like, like very big. I don't know. Interesting. I,
1: like, like, I don't know what,
4: I, I mean, I don't know. I, Pokemon had like a near monopoly at my school for like mm. several years. So that may have like, we may have like resisted Furby mania because of that.
0: There was, a I did some research and there was a Furby bubble from 98 to 2000, uh, to two thousand. so that mm. was it. That's basically it. And I was too old for Furby, but part of me was like, boy, I wonder how they work. And I kind of wanted to get one just to see how it worked because <laughs> I was like, I can't be doing all the things people are saying it's doing. It's, a, from, a, it's from Tiger Electronics. I played their handheld games. Yes. They're bad. And it only cost twenty dollars. It can't be that smart. But I knew like the shame of buying a Furby. I could never recover from that. So
1: yeah, it was it was a smart move by Tiger to you know take the Tamagotchi craze from a few a couple years earlier and then graft that onto basically a Teddy Ruxpin that uh, just makes noise and like learns from you and closes its eyes. The yeah, I never had a Furby either. My little uh, my younger brother he was. 14 when they came out so he wasn't Or 13 it wasn't for him either i think also you know it was kind of a gender-free toy but i do think that com- re-watching some of the old commercials i think it was more aimed at girls than boys
4: i guess like a, a deficiency of the furby from like a market perspective compared to pokemon was that i don't know how much differentiation there was between different furbies like presumably they came in like different colors and had like maybe some different, I don't know, facial features, maybe accessorization. The reason Pokemon was such genius is because like there was just no end to it. Like they're still making Pokemon. Like mm-hmm. you can just keep making them and you can like, by doing that, engineer continuous like novelty, which is how you keep any kind of brand or, or like craze going. And I feel like, you know, Furby was sort of like Pokemon 1.0, like pokemon really like figured that out
0: and there have been like new kinds of furbies and by that i mean people making a new craze based on one toy that are sort of furby like so the things i was thinking of that i was too out of touch to even know what these are but the things like webkins and hatchimals like those were the big like oh it's a stuffed animal but it's like high tech and it does stuff (laughs) and it's almost alive like those are the things that uh, succeeded the furby
1: yeah, the and I saw they did bring Furby back like with a new thing with like LED eyes that watched you and you could feed him through a phone app like he'd so it's like
0: the amazon echo or whatever
1: pretty much yeah. and i'm sure it's listening to you all the same as well. yeah it's like
4: jeff bezos is sat somewhere in a giant room with like a thousand tvs and he's just watching like he's just peering into everyone's bedrooms
1: getting the furby feed do
0: you still have that thing on henry is this, no is it listening i have it a while ago. okay we
1: we uh now that we don't go anywhere we really have no need for it <laughs> Uh, so yes, Lisa gets scared. We come back from the break, and she's called in the the police, who. Uh, Wigum should be watching Ralph in his bathtub though shouldn't Sarah Wiggum be doing something there why is why is I'm it making that? the
0: drinky drinky motion
1: Ah, right and uh, I also like that Homer directly calls out what type of scary movie he's in for this
0: I enjoyed the funny reading where at first he's like is it going to be one of these things where and then he starts to buy into it she's like and then at the end he's like is it Lisa is it <laughs>
1: uh, and, and another like March has very few lines in this episode but her next one in there is really great too yeah Uh, Uh, Here, I got the closet. Okay. This
2: better be important, Lisa. I left Ralphie alone in the bathtub.
3: Daddy, I'm ready to get out now. Over. This broom closet is not what it seems. It's a secret surveillance room guarded by a tiny evil robot.
5: Is this going to be like one of those horror movies where we open the door and everything's normal and we think you're crazy, but then there really is a killer robot and the next morning you find me impaled on a weather vane?
3: Is that what this is, Lisa? To be fair, not all evil robots are killers. Listen, when you see what's inside, this... <gasps> I don't understand. I could swear it was right here.
2: Yeah, right, mop top. And I'm Ed Sullivan. <clears throat> really big shoe. No, no, I can do it better. Really shoe
0: really <laughs> big gotcha that Was good yeah marge is only there to play devil's advocate for the robots <laughs>
1: that's really great she has this
0: knowledge i mean i, I trust her
1: i also like how cavner pronounced it as robots robots like, not all ro- evil robots and uh, that also felt that riff on uh doing an in a sullivan impersonation that feels like azaria actually practicing his voice like wait i knew better Knew better when that when its area bleeds through into the character of Wiggum. I really like that. Everybody thinks Lisa's crazy, and then it's time for jokes about overly PC non-denominational holiday specials, which were very uh important to us back then. I guess I, I don't th- know. I think now they wouldn't even
0: know, like, name check a religion or a holiday. Yeah, yeah. a winter holiday, let's say a winter, a holiday. solstice yeah. celebration. It
1: will be that, that kind
4: of that kind of humor is just migrated to like like aging stand-up comedians, where like every now. Netflix special is them just complaining about like political correctness. Like, I feel like that's the only kind, like that's the only place you still see that type of joke.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Krusty is having a very special, special.
2: Well, folks, that's the end of Krusty's non-denominational holiday fun fest. I want to thank my guests, Taye Leone, Beck, the Dixie Chicks. (laughs) Merry Christmas, y'all. And Patrick Ewing as the genie. So have a Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Quazy Kwanzaa, a Tip Top Tet, and a solemn, dignified Ramadan. (laughs) Now a word from my god, our sponsor. I see
5: you.
3: Give me a hug. That's the doll that attacked me. This
5: Christmas, everybody wants Funzo.
3: Funzo? I said that name in class. Funzo's soft and cuddly. With lots of firepower. Oh,
5: yes! <laughs> 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 funzo, Funzo, Funzo. If you don't have Funzo, you're
1: nothing.
0: I do like the payoff of all the kids suggestions come back even Nelson's laugh. Y-
1: you're right. With, yeah. Uh, Funzo. Oh, I didn't realize yeah. Funzo's haha is Nelson's ha-ha. Yep. And it's on
0: there. It's on their uh, like notes, all the yeah. suggestions. One of them is haha. Oh,
1: wow. That's uh, that's an even better joke. He's yeah. stealing his bit. <laughs> I I like how that girl in the commercial is legitimately hurt. Like, yeah. I didn't hit her in I eye. didn't it didn't really hit
0: me until I heard the audio isolated like she's like
1: ow. <laughs> Uh, and uh, yeah the so the celebrities in his thing are an interesting pick uh, tay Leone you know Tom Martin uh, right before working on The Simpsons was a writer for the tay Leone sitcom The Naked Truth Naked
0: Truth okay and uh, she was just in Deep Impact a few years before this ah uh, um,
1: yes yeah
0: and she was still uh, Mrs. Duchovny
1: yes yeah that was uh, in happier times for the <laughs> Duchovny's well also the, this and Mission Hill did a Beck joke then so I feel like uh, Beckett finally made it officially mainstream enough to be a reference on a show like this like-
0: currently uh, with Tim Daly of Wings fame Oh. Taya Leone. Oh, Not really? Beck. Wow. I
1: okay. I was like, wait. Okay. <laughs> hey, good for her. Good for her. <laughs> and the Dixie Chicks were relatively new at the time. They would actually guest star on The Simpsons in two- 2008's Papa Don't Leach, which uh, was the return of Lurleen Lumpkin episode.
0: And this is before their uh, they're run-in with Bush. Yes. Yeah, yeah. This, Obviously. <laughs> that when they're, They'd are probably be best known for that now.
1: Uh, meanwhile, that basketball player, they say it's Patrick Ewing. That is a bad drawing of it then because the one key signifier of Patrick Ewing, other than his height, is his mustache, like his facial hair. And he is facial hair free and i i looked up a 1999 like basketball card for ewing just to be sure like he still had facial hair then it's uh a real goof him up on there i'm and not like,
0: going to the show for mustache accuracy anymore i'm I sorry
1: i kept remembering that joke is it being Shaq. i think because he's supposed to be a genie and Shaq had just been kazam so They make a joke about how they're terrified of Muslims because Krusty makes no joke about Ramadan. He just says uh, (laughs) a
0: solemn and dignified Ramadan,
1: (laughs) which uh, in case you didn't know, the Ramadan uh, is on a lunar calendar. So it happens apparently 11 days earlier each year, which is why in 1999 Ramadan did begin on December 8th. But this year it started on April 23rd. So who knows in another ten years or so it might be at uh back at Christmas time uh, the so, Ramadan inaccurate with
0: mustaches accurate with Muslim holidays it was correct okay. for that
1: for the 1999 Ramadan yes and uh, though I couldn't I should have looked up where, when Tet is I only I mean, I think Americans only know Tet because of uh, the Vietnam War uh, but yeah that uh, the funzo ad also really captures how uh, toy commercials were of our childhood like you have the boy and the girl perfectly costumed to look uh, the right Christmas morning way and uh, so Bart and Lisa to decide they're going to have a spaz about it which that's a weird word uh, inappropriate yeah to throw yeah. a
0: spaz <laughs>
1: uh, it meant a different well no it meant what it meant it then, meant what it yeah, meant what then. Yeah, yeah, it was just a word they, they were fine with saying <laughs> then uh, and so they head off to kid first industries which has a good little joke about a neon secret headquarters sign
0: stolen from the Daffy Duck cartoon the great piggy bank robbery
1: oh you're right it's just a ripoff and joke. it was probably <laughs> a lot
0: older than that too like the the obvious secret headquarters sign is always a fun gag
1: uh, but the then we get our next guest star in this star-studded episode, which unfortunately means I must play the death jingle, the always respectful death jingle. <laughs>
5: death starts you and everybody! M-
0: So, yes, Gary Coleman, uh, who passed away May 28th, 2010, at the age of 42, and you may be thinking, like, well, I remember him as a sitcom star, not a security guard, but I think uh, we all forgot about Gary Coleman after, you know, the 80s were over, but then a news story broke that he assaulted a woman when he was working as a security guard. Right, yes. right. So the story is, like he was off-duty, of course, but you know his parents stole all of his money, his representation stole all of his money, so he was left like working regular jobs, and he was working as a security guard. And at one point, uh, he was out shopping for a bulletproof vest, and a woman at the store noticed him and was like, oh, can I get your autograph? And I guess he gave her the autograph, and according to his testimony in court, she was very rude to him and was mad that she didn't write something nice on the, uh, on the picture or whatever or on whatever he signed. Wow. And then there was some sort of altercation where he eventually punched her in the head.
1: Whoa. Wow. Yes. Okay. So this, this isn't just random humor about Gary Coleman being a security guard who does Kung Fu moves. This is actually ripped from the headline. Yeah.
0: He had been working as a security guard. I think after this it gave him some notoriety and at this portion of his career until his death uh, 12 years later his career would be like I'll show up and you can make fun of me. Yep. Yeah. For as long yeah. as you can remember <laughs> Different strokes. I'll be there.
1: I at least think the rip from the headliness of this makes their use of Gary Coleman better than uh say postal the movie's use of him or the video game or the video game yeah Yeah, i but but it did become kind of like lazy shorthand of like oh and gary coleman's here yeah yeah look at him and by the way uh
0: not a little person in case you're wondering Mm
1: -hmm. yeah they 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 joke on the commentary here that they draw him as two feet tall and some but he's like he's four he was four eight uh gary coleman was like he was not i mean that's not very sure i mean it's not it's well this use of gary coleman too it reminded me of how avenue q the musical made gary coleman not actually him but one of the characters in the show is gary coleman played by an actor and the the joke is like gary coleman you work in our building as a super and uh but when i saw avenue q finally in like 2012 in, in on Broadway, it was still Gary Coleman in it, but it had this like tinge of like, oh, that's weird. Why mm. is it still Gary Coleman? I mean,
0: we're old, Henry and I, and we're too young for different strokes. It went off mm-hmm. the air when we were four. Like, yeah. I didn't see it. I knew about it through the What You Talking About Willis references, but I had no idea what it even was. And I think I ended up seeing Webster more.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. I was way more of a Webster kid, you know? The Flanders love Webster. <laughs>
0: they got the I Love Webster t-shirt.
1: And Webster is much shorter than gary coleman too i think uh, emmanuel lewis i should say not not webster uh but yeah the, they also they mentioned that he he was a good sport but he he did say you only get a few of my catchphrases. he's not gonna give them to you like for free uh but yes why don't we hear gary coleman as he appears in this episode
3: hey it's
2: gary coleman but the menu said galaxy of prawns three prawns are hardly a galaxy what do you mean your hands are tied let me talk to Mr. Kwan.
3: I want to see how this turns out. Huh. The phone's not even plugged in.
2: All right, you listen to me, Kwan. Hang on, I got another call. Yes, Mr. President. I can be in Washington right away.
3: You people took advantage of trusting school children.
6: How did you get past Gary Coleman?
3: Let's just say he's a few prawns short of a galaxy.
6: <laughs> <Yeah>! <laughs> <Ha>! <laughs> uh! ha!
3: I'm sorry, Gary. There's no longer a place for you here.
2: What you talking about Miss Nagel?
3: That is so adorable. You're rehired.
2: <laughs> Sucker. I knew exactly what she was talking about.
1: He does a good job. In this yeah, yeah. yeah, I do like
0: that. That take on the classic catchphrase where it's like, oh, he always knew what they were talking about. <laughs> he was
1: tricking us here. Yeah. I you know, the I think the line that has stuck with me most from this episode is this is hardly a galaxy. Galaxy like, of <sighs> I think
0: of that whenever I get like uh, Chinese food with like shrimp in it or just mm-hmm. any kind of like soy meat in it. Just like this is there's only five pieces. This is not a galaxy.
1: <laughs> yeah. Any fried rice or chow mein I order, if it doesn't have enough meat, I think how it's not a galaxy.
4: Forgive me, but a galaxy is not a recognized unit of, like...
1: (laughs)
0: Me is it
1: like where 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 does that come from?
0: It implies a vast amount.
1: Yeah, it I guess it it's uh feels like a parody of maybe the flowery over-the-top language you'd get on a Chinese takeout menu that describing something, I suppose. Yeah, that makes sense.
4: I mean I I understood there was like a vast amount. I just wondered if that was like a reference point uh that I was missing or like if perhaps, you know, uh in the United States you just have a more uh exotic terminology for <laughs> talking about like meet in, uh, in Asian takeaway,
0: I think it's just limited to Chinese menus. <laughs> uh,
1: but they're also pretty mean to Coleman here, of just like the phone's not even plugged in. Like I, he's I do an like insane person. Pardon and
0: Lisa are genuinely <laughs> worried about him. that concerned look they share is very great. Like oh god, this poor guy.
1: <laughs> there's there's a lot of troubled and pitied looks at Gary Coleman throughout this episode, which uh, Coleman was a real good sport for all these jokes about him. <laughs> yeah. So Jim Hope then reveals what they actually were doing. He even like directly mentions Furby and Tickle Me Elmo as what they're trying to make just to make it extra clear what they're parodying of.
0: The weird beat of this plot line, though, is like, OK, the kids uncover the big plot, but also nothing changes. Yeah. The status quo was not changed at all. It's just like well, now funzo is still popular and no one cares.
1: You know, it's true. Is that and the- is the
4: school still owned by the company?
1: yeah it's not until the happy ending at the very end does it uh, get bought back but yeah the well that's a yeah as a storytelling thing they reveal a secret twice they reveal that funzo is based on all the kids stuff and then they kind of like go away from that for a minute and then the next secret is like oh and also the toys destroy other toys like i i think i feel like the first reveal is enough for them to want to destroy funzo but then i think they have to have the extra justification of like oh funzo does evil things and destroys other toys here's
0: the other secret that's not even (laughs) it's just very obvious what he's doing
1: it's, yeah i would feel like other kids would be pretty upset the second funzo did that and would get rid of it but but then again we're talking about an episode where the timeline is that they focus group those toys and are able to sell all of them within like two weeks of uh of it maybe this uh maybe springfield's just the test market for funzo and it hasn't uh appeared in the rest of america hmm. well as always in the simpsons
4: it's like Springfield is sort of both like provincial backwater and also this like microcosm for all of America. And it's like unclear which of those it is in this episode.
1: Uh yeah, a test market like this would normally be a big city like San Francisco or New York. But uh uh and yeah, I also like Nagel, the way Nagel says, like, we did screw you a little. Like <laughs> she can admit that and just like here, a free toy for you guys. That's they Bart. only get one
0: funzo though. Uh
1: yeah, and then they must have given him that catalog on his way out so they'd know that Bart would spend more money on all the uh, the side stuff to <laughs> The European voltage converter. <laughs> Why not buy three? <laughs> I love. I honestly, all this stuff Funzo says is so funny to me. Like the the delivery. I, it's Azaria doing it. I think he right? would later go uh, on to
0: play uh, linguo a similar talking robot.
1: Oh yeah, it's actually pretty much the same the same deal, except with uh, with multiple languages.
3: And I want Funzo's dream fortress. Funzo's lower back pain chair. Funzo's European voltage converter. Why not get three?
1: <gasps> <gasps> three it is. And I uh, just like why not get three, <laughs> and also like it's all righty. God, so funny. I, uh, and his dance. I love the little Funzo dance, too. This, this toy can do a lot of things.
0: I wonder what the, the profit margin is on Funzo.
1: I got to think it's more than a Furby is. I got to think this is like a, a $75 toy. Yeah. For all the features it does, especially it can never stop dancing. That, uh, But, yes, that's when it's revealed that Funzo kills other toys in often very graphic <laughs> ways.
0: Impels their heads on uh, pencils.
1: <laughs> I think I I was really shocked at how realistic the choking of crusty is like the way he pulls uh, out yeah that the crusty face acts like a man being choked not a static and the, plastic the, the severed face.
0: heads are like frozen in horror the severed heads of the dolls oh
1: <laughs> uh, the crusty face is like drooping because like the life is gone from it so it's a drooping severed head it's it's uh in the choking sound on crusty yeah it's uh pretty extreme <laughs> as well as the great extreme but uh funny acting of the dolls heads on the, <laughs> the, the pencils yeah, yeah dancing with
0: heads on pikes is very uh i mean uh, th- this this is not going to play in peoria this this these antics <laughs> what are they thinking
1: and uh, yes they also have a quick little joke about how microsoft you know destroys the competition internally which i think they were just being sued over internet explorer at this time
0: that joke is like made me groan so hard because it's not even a joke it's just like yes bart like microsoft does there's nothing clever about that like i bet he spells microsoft with a dollar sign when he posts online in 1999
1: (laughs) then it cuts to outside the try and save where lisa trying to enforce a boycott actually tells people how to uh, or convinces people to break into the store and steal stuff it's definitely parodying the toy crazes that were happening you'd see the horrifying videos of the battles over a tickle me elmo
0: I think I'm uh, I'm old enough to remember before the days of like doorbusters there were no like we're gonna camp out to go shopping at five in the morning when Best Buy opens. Uh, I just remember that being a fairly new thing in the late 90s. Mm.
4: The it, first time I remember seeing that was, I think it's maybe an early nineties film, but is there not like a thing in that, uh, that Arnold vehicle jingle all the way where oh, he's yeah. like he runs into a store and there's like all the parents, there's like a stampede is like, it looks like one of those black Friday videos. They're all going for like the turbo man or whatever. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah.
0: That was like 96. So I think it was a reference to like the power Rangers craze, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. The turbo man.
1: they also like cabbage patch kids had the same oh, yeah, thing in right. the '80s too. Like, yeah. So- uh, the, it's not a new phenomenon to have violent parents battling over one toy. I feel
0: like there were just the more news of Tramplings, <laughs> or at least like one death.
1: Though I also <laughs> like that the, the 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 person who leads the breaking in is Lenny, who is a childless single <laughs> what's, band. What's going on
0: with Mo and Lenny?
1: <laughs> they are super excited to get this toy. I it's also, good.
0: Lenny is so great. I love Lenny, but I like how he thinks he invented breaking a window. It's just like, look, you just break the window
1: and go in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nope, it didn't hit any other. Them, you don't have to do wait that. for stores to open. You can just
0: break their doors.
1: You know, I wonder now what 2020's Black Friday is going to be like, you know. is uh, It won't war-
0: change in no way because we're stupid.
1: Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it'll just be the same. It's like coughing the cashier's face <laughs> to get 5% off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, God, uh, dark times. Uh, so, uh, yes, they realize there's no way to stop it unless...
2: So, who am I beating up?
3: Nobody, you're just gonna break into everyone's house and steal their favorite toy. Thus saving Christmas.
5: Now let's see, this'll make three Christmases I saved versus eight I ruined. Two were kind of a draw.
3: Dad, Dad, you're driving on the sidewalk. I'm sorry. I just
1: realized that's... Frank? Uh.
3: Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let Earth receive her king. Season's not greeting sees out
1: Bart with a very 1999 peace out accent like that was that was fresh then which that's also that feels like classic though season one Bart where he just says a thing he heard on television
0: one thing about this we've been talking about all these ideas that um, they should be full episodes or at least like plots and episodes the thing about Homer stealing Christmas is two scenes and then in the uh, season 15 episode tis the 15th season it's the Christmas episode for that season mm. there's an entire like Homer as the Grinch stealing all the presents with a song oh Oh, yeah. So I feel like yeah. like yeah that was a good idea except it's just two scenes of caroling and antics but they decided like let's just make it a full Grinch thing
1: that was smart
0: and in fact the promo art for this episode that you would see like in TV guide or whatever is like Homer being too fat to go down a chimney oh right. so like right. Yeah. they took those two scenes and made that like the the spotlights. <laughs> for this well, episode. Well,
1: Homer in a Santa costume, that feels like the easy sell of the episode. But even Homer's just like, what am I doing here? Like, Homer uh, is confused. He's been called into the <laughs> end of this episode that he really wasn't featured in.
0: But you're saying, like, it's almost 10 years to the day where the the first one aired when he was also Santa. So... That's right. It's nice. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's like poetry, right? <laughs> it rhymes. <laughs> I also like
1: Homer thinks he was getting called in to beat people up. Like, that was his plan. I totally missed that that was you hear a glaven just a quick little glaven that it's frank he almost runs so it's, into it's not a cat it's frank <laughs> well i think it's a cat and yeah. Frank. <laughs> he was holding his cat <laughs> homer busting into places to steal stuff is good though for it to work they have to draw the funzos unwrapped which is like no shouldn't they be wrapped up under the christmas tree they they're giving them the funzos without Me? as a prize they're
0: so advanced they unwrap themselves
1: ah i see <laughs> and uh yeah they so they collect them all in uh, one evening Homer's sack can somehow contain like thousands of funzos in them it's
0: the perfect uh, parody for the song Tiny Bubbles mm. Mm. yeah wrapping oh. funzos in my oh,
2: sack I didn't realize that was a Tiny
1: yeah. Bubbles reference yeah wow. you're, no, you're not a fan of Don Ho I uh, I barely remember that song uh, did the Muppets ever sing it maybe then I would have heard it. I'm sure they
0: probably did <laughs> it was Don Ho's signature song by the way Ah, uh, okay Tiny Bubbles in the wine make me happy make me feel fine
1: oh uh, okay well thank you what kind of wine has
0: bubbles in it i'm confused yeah that
1: sounds like champagne (laughs) (laughs) uh but yes the madness ends here as as homer says or lisa says it which uh homer had a nickel for every time he heard that uh but gary coleman won't let it go that easily
2: well what do we have here looks like the biggest ripoff since webster please mr coleman we can explain i'm listening
3: Your toy company is evil.
2: Well, isn't it possible for an evil company to make people
3: happy? Are you saying the end justifies the means? That's a very glib interpretation. Hey, don't talk to my sister that way. No, Bart, he's right. I did oversimplify.
5: Perhaps, but let's not get bogged down in semantics. I think what Lisa meant to say
6: is... (laughs) And so, Gary Coleman and the Simpsons argued long into the night. And then, as day broke, the spirit of the season entered their hearts.
3: Let's just agree that the commercialization of Christmas is at best a mixed blessing. Amen.
6: Yeah,
3: amen.
0: Love. Wow. Lisa ends up on like a very centrist take on this whole thing. This, just like, this
4: is my favorite. This is my favorite uh, bit in the episode because. Uh, I love that like yeah at the beginning of that uh, part it seems like gonna be like a pain to like nuance or whatever and it's like look you know don't be reductive like like do discourse properly and you'll arrive at like a real conclusion and the conclusion that they arrive at is just like the most like milk toast, meaningless <laughs> kind of thing that absolutely everybody would agree with but also like doesn't really like elucidate
1: like anything yeah it definitely comes from their ivy league background of debate of just like well let's just all agree it's a mixed blessing yeah okay yeah. <laughs> in, in conclusion christmas is a land of contrast <laughs> though this i uh, i mean in this era this is about the centering of lisa like she's she's not as progressive as as this show goes on you and know when she
0: is she's a sellout occasionally yeah, yeah. uh so another death jingle uh, is that button
1: warmed up i got it here okay. all right one more death jingle yeah! So
0: Clarence Clemens, who is the saxophonist for the E Street Band, the Bruce Springsteen Band, he is the narrator. It sounds like they couldn't get James Earl Jones because he would normally be doing this (laughs) at the end.
1: You do know that Bruce Springsteen is Mike Scully's favorite musician. Yeah, maybe he was trying to
0: get to Bruce through Clarence, but yeah, yeah, he died. If I
1: can get Clemens, maybe Clemens will tell Bruce to finally do The Simpsons, you know?
0: But yeah, he died in June of 2011 at 69, and he had some minor acting roles. So he was not just a musician. So he had done some acting before, but He had yeah. been on uh,
1: different strokes, I saw.
0: <laughs> and I just thought while doing this episode that this is the first Simpsons since Homer at the Bat to have two black guest stars, I think. Oh, I think. I
1: think you're right. Uh,
0: maybe, uh, maybe I'm not sure what the racial status of Cypress Hill is, so it could be muddy. But Oh, uh, actually, yeah, you're right. Okay. That,
1: that definitely Cypress Hill changes Well, that. they very
0: yeah. rarely have more than one African-American guest star. And in this case, they're both dead but still it's an achievement (laughs)
1: uh man the yeah the uh he was an accomplished actor he was also on uh nash bridges and the wire so and oh and bill and ted's excellent adventure he was in that too he's uh yeah i think i think it really was to get he was called the big man as the sax guy in the e street band and i i definitely think it was just scully getting closer and closer (sighs) as he could to bruce springsteen who still has not done the show i don't think he ever will
0: maybe he'll do duncanville (laughs)
1: that's uh that's scully's priority these days yeah yeah but uh yeah having i mean the voiceover here helps with this having a cute ending that it's all about a debate and uh the next the next scene it's like well
0: yeah you don't see gary coleman wrestling a metal Robot or like skeleton skeletonized Funzo at Christmas every time. Yeah, but, I
1: love him dropping the elbow off.
0: But uh, Homer doing like the very uh, the very stock like, uh, gee, Mister Coleman, my mo- <laughs> my wife makes a lot of food, and you know it would be a shame if we went to waste. Like just try not to hurt his feelings, but also inviting him at the same time. Yeah, it's so funny.
1: It becomes it becomes the classic Christmas episode that happens for so many sitcoms, where like you know they befriend a homeless person who they invite to dinner or something in it that that happened in the clone high holiday episode actually they they
0: don't want to seem like a handout so they have to like gently like broach the subject of inviting them to
1: dinner (laughs) and uh but yes here's uh here's the very happy ending
5: um uh mr coleman i've been thinking uh my wife always makes too much stuffing and sweet potatoes (laughs) and all oh heck
2: would you like to spend christmas with us no way i'm having christmas at george clooney's house Gary. All right, I'll come.
6: And Gary Coleman was as good as his word. <laughs> as for old Mr. Burns, he was visited by three ghosts during the night and agreed to fund the school with some money he found in his tuxedo pants. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> While Mo, seeing oh. what the world would be like if he had never been born, pulled his head out of the oven and replaced it with a plump Christmas goose.
2: Yeah, happy holidays, Dad. Merry Christmas, Mo. Uh, listen, I kind of banged up that Jeep in the driveway. What you talking about, Mo? (laughs) (laughs) What you talking about, everyone?
0: So much to talk about there. To be started off with, I love how Homer becomes like very rural briefly, like yeah. his sweet potatoes and all. <laughs> very funny. But, I mean, the highlight of that has to be, uh, uh, you know, obviously not a laughing matter, but just the the sheer darkness of the Moe on Christmas with his head in the oven with the no funeral sign yeah. taped to his back. I think the darkest joke in The Simpsons to date.
1: I think it might just be the, the only one I can think of, like, challenging it is, when Mo's teacher at the bar school, like he drowns himself on screen. Yeah. there's no uh, cure for for cancer, is there, Mo? <laughs> you don't have it, do you? The vision of a man with his head in an oven with no fu- the it's the no funeral that really does it because it's not just that he wants to take his own life, but his commandment of not even wanting them to celebrate his life, like not even to have a funeral. He's that darts like yeah it's, it's horrible, and it's a it's a visual that sticks with you for a on very long time Christmas. on Christmas yeah it's
4: also pretty funny to, to imagine like what did Mo like see that like what was the world like without yeah. Mo like what was this like bleak uh, version of Springfield without Mo in it that's
1: another episode idea yeah. they just threw it out yeah this ending feels like them throwing out two different episode ideas at the same time like well yeah a Mr. Burns starring in the Christmas miss carol parody is they could do that and in a wonderful life parody with mo they could do that but don't do either and did n- deny you them <laughs> just let you know that they went through it and uh people and they have changed their hearts because of it especially the ridiculousness of like some money he found in his tuxedo pants he just had a
0: change of heart one of his uh, unpredictable changes of heart <laughs> yes. uh yeah i mean for as much of a cheat as his ending is it's funny enough that i will excuse it also because like the plot was not very uh coherent before this it was just a bunch of fun jokes so i do like the ending how the narration comes out of nowhere and also the darkness of the mo joke is just the 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 cherry on top and
1: and i'm impressed that they even bothered to explain why the school wasn't owned by kids first anymore they were able to uh, explain that away and i also like that mo mo could just accept the niceness of everybody but it says like i i also ran into somebody's jeep sorry uh no i've never had i've never had a goose not even on christmas Mm. that uh i can't uh, i don't know if it's more palatable than a turkey or not but uh but he even cooked it like old english style with the head still on the goose too (laughs) <laughs> this is a very random Christmas episode. That's half a Christmas episode, but I it made me laugh. It's a funny and the funzo stuff is fun. Yes, uh,
0: uh, all time great lines. I forgot is to be fair, not all evil robots are killers. I <laughs> that will stick with me forever after this recording.
1: Yeah,
4: I, re- I really enjoyed the experience of watching it. It just it, it is kind of uh, it is kind of sad when you think about all the unfulfilled potential. Like how many individual gags or scenes, like we were just talking about could be entire episodes that would like actually be really funny and make for really funny uh premises
1: yeah but at least they at least they kept it funny with what they had in here i you know it's it's they're still getting closer and closer to a simpsons that just stops caring about plot but they stitched together funny jokes in this episode
0: so Luke, thanks for being on the show. Please promote all of your stuff, Michael and us. I know you've got a Patreon with bonus episodes on there that have been really good. So yes, uh, please uh, promote everything.
4: We do. Well, th- yeah, cheers. Um, we've been doing extra stuff during uh, during coronavirus, partly because I think we have a little more time to record and also because uh, people seem to like it. So yeah, if you're perhaps a listener of the show but haven't checked out the Patreon, now would be a good time. There's a lot of stuff on there. Uh, if you're not a listener to the show, <laughs> you should be. It's fun. Uh, check us out definitely has a little bit of uh the flavor of you know what we just recorded and as much as I feel like even more so than usual, like every time I every time I come on the show, you know, going back to these episodes is always like revisiting parts of childhood. But this one, even more so. <laughs> so, you know, my show is a little bit like that, except very much like the early 2000s kind of Bush era. We came we we flew pretty close to it uh, when we were talking about the Dixie Chicks mm-hmm. on uh, on this one. But um yeah, kind of like looking at, uh, you know, we spend a lot of time looking at early to mid 2000s kind of uh, liberal and conservative paraphernalia and kind of discussing it through the lens of current events, but also just watching stuff we like, um, <laughs> you know, which we've increasingly had to do more of because there's only like so many Dinesh D'Souza movies you can sit through. <laughs> what or, or a whatever. shame.
1: <laughs> I, I always appreciate it when you guys treat yourself to something you'll enjoy instead of hate. Well, that's you you and me
4: both. I think Will is uh, more in the camp of like, let's just do every Dinesh D'Souza movie, which actually, incidentally after this, I am recording with Will and we are doing a Dinesh D'Souza
1: movie, so Um, pray for me. Godspeed. Godspeed. That's all that's
0: playing in quarantine theaters now. You just just go there and get sick and watch a bad movie.
1: (laughs) Uh, Oh, and also, uh, you do a lot of great work for Jacobin as well.
4: Cheers, yeah. Uh, yeah. Find my articles at uh, Jacobin. You can follow me at uh, Luke W. Savage on uh, on twitter uh, everything everything i do all everything in the luke savage brand is aggregated uh there
1: <laughs> uh but thank you so much again luke it's always great having you back
4: yeah always a pleasure guys so thanks
0: so much to Luke for being on our show please check out Michael and us uh, as for us if you want to support our show and get all of our podcasts one week ahead of time and at free please go to patreon.com slash talking simpsons and when you sign up there at the $5 level you'll get just that but also access to everything behind the $5 paywall when you sign up you'll immediately have access to everything we've been making behind that paywall for the past three plus years and that includes all of our limited miniseries the most recent one was Talking Mission Hill we went over the entire mission hill season the only season using the talking simpsons treatment that's only behind the patreon paywall along with over a hundred bonus podcasts frankly too many to list here but henry can tell everybody out there what's happening at the ten dollar level one mega long podcast once a month that is only for patrons at that level or higher
1: yes if you want to all that $5 stuff plus a bit extra. For 10 bucks a month, you get the What a Cartoon Movie Podcast, our monthly exploration of a different animated feature film that we are doing now we're closing in on our second year of doing it so there's over 80 hours of back catalog if you sign up now you can hear recent ones like the black cauldron and space jam we had a ton of fun on those so get all that five dollar stuff plus the what a cartoon movie if you are a ten dollar up subscriber at patreon.com slash talking simpson
0: so as for me i have been one of your hosts bob Mackey. you can find me on twitter as bob servo my other podcast of course is retronauts that's a podcast all about classic video games you can find that wherever you find podcasts or go to patreon.com slash retronauts sign up there and get early access and two exclusive episodes every month again that is patreon.com slash retronauts henry how about you
1: hey it's me henry gilbert follow me on twitter at h-e-n-e-r-e-y-g to stay up to date with everything that's going on in my life plus if you want to stay up to date with everything that happens on talking simpsons and our sister podcast what a cartoon you need to subscribe on twitter to at talk simpsons pod at talk simpsons pod will keep you up to date anytime new podcasts go live on the patreon on the free feed and whenever extras go up to you'll stay in the loop with at talk simpsons pod thanks so much for listening
0: folks we'll see you next week for little big mom and we'll see you then
2: What you talking about, everyone?